1: are listening to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza, X out, go listen to some boring podcast where, where they're afraid of their own shadow, okay, don't listen to Joe Lanza, because Joe Lanza's not changing, and Rich Crage, <laughs> <Give me a, laughs> hey, who delivers <laughs> this
0: guy in a big <laughs> spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In, you. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me, I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast, I am Rich Craig alongside as always, banter himself mr joe lanza joe we missed a week so now we gotta pack what six hours into this show that's usually how it goes
1: there's no time for banter this week because there's there really isn't much to get to so i think it's your job to make sure that i do not drift off topic um it's not my job to control myself it's your job you're an
0: uncontrollable monster yeah we, we know that
1: yeah. control me from going off topic because i can <laughs> i could easily go off topic if you'd like me to
0: yeah, uh, I think this is a good week. I don't know if there's a whole lot to go. I mean, like, we're not in that quite Christmas season yet. Like, we'll have our usual discussion of that Paul McCartney song and how awful it is. Uh, but that's got to wait a few more weeks. Like, that can't start already. Like, that's at least, like, our Christmas special. A wonderful, um,
1: wonderful Christmas time?
0: Yes, it was on earlier today when I, I was driving home from work. It's and the worst
1: ate. Christmas song that's ever been recorded.
0: It might be the worst song ever recorded. It's close. Would, would you put it in that category? I, I think I would. It's like, I, rhythmically, it's terrible. The lyrics are awful. It's Everything about that song is... Legitimately The Dirt. I mean, like, I, it might be the worst song ever created.
1: There's a lot of bad songs. Um, Single Ladies by Beyonce stands out for me. Okay, yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely the worst Christmas song. I will go that far. I, I'm not prepared to say if it's the worst song ever recorded, period. Uh, there's some that's Gwen a good Stefani. that's a good lands on there's filter some,
0: topic right there. It is. Yeah. There's
1: some Gwen Stefani songs that are. I really was
0: gonna that them. Hey Baby was uh, that immediately came to mind of a song that I just cannot stand. It just makes my blood <laughs> boil when I hear that song. I don't but, even know if it's called Hey Baby. I don't even care because
1: I, I I don't I'm not familiar with Hey Baby by Gwen Stefani.
0: Let me make sure it's called Hey Baby. Oh, it's definitely called Hey Baby. Okay, you've heard it. You've heard it thousands of times. But probably you're you're better um, off for not knowing it off the top of your head. So
1: I have to know now though. Can you sing a bar for me?
0: Uh I cannot. I am not uh the singer. So I believe she just screams hey baby uh, uh like 400 times, but no I'm not the not the singer as you can tell.
1: I think the worst Gwen Stefani song and one of the worst songs ever is Wind It Up.
0: I don't know if I know what Wind It Up is. Hold on, let me let me fire this bad boy up in the headphones. Why, this is always
1: Wind It Up's a terrible one. I'm gonna, I have to look up, up this hey baby because I'm Okay, not...
0: well we'll do it both. Yeah, we'll both uh
1: Let's see what this Hey Baby's all about.
0: Okay, Wind It Up is terrible. I remember that song now. Yeah, Wind It Up's pretty terrible.
1: Oh, Hey... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, this is a terrible song, too. Yeah, right? okay.
0: Wind It Up's pretty awful. I, You might have me one with Wind It Up. That is... The first <laughs> bar is the most annoying thing I've ever heard in my entire life. The entire like, song
1: is annoying. There's nothing <laughs> right? appealing about it. And, and... Listen, No Doubt was a tremendous band. She Absolutely. went solo, and she's terrible. She's just awful.
0: Well, the... the... The wheelbarrows full of money are okay. But <laughs> we got too much to talk about. I'm not going to go down this road. Not going down this road. We have too much to talk about. Too many topics to get to uh, today. So we'll talk a bunch of different stuff we're going on today. We're talking about WWE TLC, uh, 205 Live, uh, some cool changes in Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor Final Battle, uh, and then an awesome 10 man tag from Dragon Gates, then uh, their Fantastic Gate show, and also All Japan Pro Wrestling had uh, their Sumo Hall show a few weeks ago. So we want to talk about that. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, I do have to let everybody know that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by Mack Weldon. And, of course, we've talked about them many, many times. But Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. You go onto their website, you're not inundated with 7,000 different SKUs. And every, you, you pick, I want underwear, and I want it in blue. You click underwear, you click blue, you got your underwear ready to go. And not only that, not only is the shopping experience that easy, they have the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever where, Joe, I am wearing the underwear right now. I wear the polo all the time. You have the hoodie. You can attest to the hoodie being a, a hit with the ladies as well. So the Mack Weldon hoodie is great. The MacWeldon underwear is great. The polo is great. I've heard from other listeners as well. That said the socks, the undershirts, everything is great. So, of course, go to MacWeldon.com right now, and you can get 20% off using our exclusive promo code VOICES. That's MacWeldon.com. 20% off using our promo code VOICES. Obviously, the holiday season going on, and not a whole lot of days left. Not a bad idea to go on to MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off using coupon going voices and then get a hoodie, a sweatshirt, and undershirt, socks, whatever the hell you want to get for somebody on your list. Not a bad idea at all. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using promo code voices. All right, Joe, we asked people on Twitter what they wanted us to start the show with. Uh, a lot of people said the All Japan Sumo Hall show, and no. <laughs> like, <laughs> as much as I would enjoy like, I don't mind. I would like to talk about that, but we do have, like, a lot of listeners that I don't think would stick with us if we started the show talking about a two-week-old All Japan Pro Wrestling show. So I think we have to go in a different direction. We are going to get to that show, though. We are absolutely going to get to that. But, Joe, what do you want to start with? Because we have quite uh, a lot to get to. listeners selected
1: the All Japan Pro Wrestling Sumo Hall Show, and they also selected <laughs> Five Live. Those were the two most popular responses for the topics to start with.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I suggest that in a full heel move, we start with WWE Tables, Ladders, and Chairs.
0: Okay, all right. That is a pretty heel move, yeah. You, you, you did a James Ellsworth type heel turn there, uh, by going to W T L C. What? what? <laughs> like, I have no strong thoughts about T L C, so this will be fun. But hey, it's a, it's not a bad idea. What do you? First off, before we get to kind of the match by match, what do you think of the entire show? Because I, I I enjoyed it to an extent, but I of the I definitely like Backlash of the SmackDown specific pay per views. I like Backlash a lot better. Uh, this one I don't know. It it there was really good stuff on here. Um, and in context like. A lot of it was really, really good, but for whatever reason, I left the show kind of with a sour taste in my mouth. And a lot of that could have been the James Ellworth, Ellsworth thing, which I, I know where you stand on it. And I stand on it where it's like, what I, I just, I can't do it. I, I really just cannot. Cause it really clouded what I thought was a pretty I good styles. Ambrose
1: top to bottom. It was a, it was a show with a lot of action and, and the matches that weren't very good were kept short. I enjoyed the show a lot. I thought WWE had another excellent pay-per-view here. Um, as far as the Ellsworth stuff.
0: Which has been a trend this entire year. Their pay-per-views are great. Like, if you just... If you never watched Raw and never watched SmackDown and weren't on Twitter and didn't find... If you just chimed in once a once a month or whatever, once every few weeks and watched these pay-per-views, you would love this company in 2016 because the pay-per-views I have mean, been great. I show
1: had three pretty great matches, I thought. And the, it was only a six-match show. And the other three matches were fine. Um, the, the, the becky Mac The, the Becky-Bliss match... That, like, time stood still in that match. That match wasn't very good.
0: That I did not like that match at all. And there were three matches that
1: were were pretty awesome. Now, now, yeah, I agree with you. I thought the Ellsworth stuff... Well, first of all, we should address... Let's start there. The the thing about Ellsworth is this. I agree with you that it's excellent storytelling. I don't have a problem with the story they're telling with Ellsworth. Even if I'm not necessarily all that invested in it or, 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 or care about it, but I, I do think they're doing a solid job telling that story, and there are people who are into it. My problem with Ellsworth is it speaks to a bigger picture issue with this company in that this is why their titles are always devalued, and this is why they have problems creating stars, um, that's my issue with Ellsworth. Not the, the the actual storytelling behind it is fine. I I think they're 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 you know they're, they're doing a, a fine job, but there's I have no issue with that. Me personally, I don't think they should have characters like James Ellsworth mixed in with the main event pictures in their and in, in their company. I think it, that that's counterproductive, and I think this has been like almost a twenty year trend where. Uh, yeah, this Ellsworth thing is—you know—it'll get some short-term pops, and he's got some popularity now, and he's selling T-shirts and whatever. But we all know James Ellsworth is going to be history in six months. We all know this is a temporary thing. Um, yeah, you know, he's—he's he, he, not going to go on to become a star for this company and help them draw money beyond this short-term storyline. And all this is doing is devaluing the SmackDown title. And then when you devalue your titles, it makes it impossible to use those titles to then create stars. That's my beef with it, and that's why they shouldn't get all wrapped up. They, listen, this Ellsworth thing was a two-week storyline, and they're now dragging it out over the course of several pay-per-views.
0: I think one of my other issues with it as well is the fact that it is James Ellsworth as well, which, which again, like I, I tweeted it out on, on Sunday, and you kind of alluded to it here as well. I think they're doing a great job telling the story. Let's let's ignore who it is. Ignore the if it's just wrestler X and wrestler Y and all that sort of stuff, whatever they're doing with wrestler X, like this story of the James Ellsworth thing is fantastic. It's really good. And I enjoy it a lot if it wasn't like what is the long term benefit of putting all of this time and all of this effort and all of this good storytelling when we're a comp- when we talk about this company on a weekly basis and and one of our biggest complaints is the storytelling is just like it's garbage like you get guys like a Kevin Owens who's just a, a, an awesome talent and you just do the same old crap with him and you just you have all this talent on this roster and a lot of guys just kind of flounder and don't do anything and and are just kind of there hanging around or waiting or whatever and then you have this you have a James Ellsworth who the story is awesome the story is fantastic And they've pretty much created a star that we, you know, this is the thing that they used to be able to do. We talk about the star making machine, the WWE star making machine. This is it. Unfortunately, it's with James Ellsworth. And I'm wondering what the hell is the, you know, what are the long term benefits of putting all this time, all this effort, all this careful crafting of this character for James Ellsworth? Like And and like you're saying, it's for maybe six months. And I doubt even that. In a few weeks, it'll be over. You know what I mean? Like in a month, it'll be done. And then he's going to flounder for another five months. And then he's gone. And then it's like, all right, well, what was the benefit of that? What, What did anybody gain? by putting all of this effort into James Ellsworth. That's one of my biggest complaints is, is I, I just don't get it. Why this guy, why right now that guy, I just, when there's so much talent on this roster, it just seems so weird. And I know that story can't be told with every guy. It needs to be told with kind of a geeky guy, but I think you can tell something similar to what they're doing, or at least you can put the same amount of effort that you put into James Ellsworth into all these other guys in your roster. I just don't get why it's this guy right now. It, That's it's the just, thing I, I, I can't can wrap my head around
1: someone it. else. I have a problem with comedy in your mainline program like that. That's my problem. You can be a sports entertainment company and do that stuff on your undercard or, or, or whatever the case may be. But when you start, what does AJ Styles gain from this? What, what does AJ Styles gain from having three fluke losses to this guy, uh, for the benefit of getting over this comedy character? Nothing, nothing long-term at all. Um, and again, this does, long-term damage to your title. It does long-term damage. You know, and, and it's funny because you could almost see, you know. I don't want to play the old man, young man card, but when you see people react to this stuff on Twitter, you see a firm line uh, with where they stand on the James Ellsworth thing by people's ages. And I really don't blame younger fans for not seeing an issue with this and just saying, oh, this is a lot of fun, this is a great... Because that's all they know with this company. That's all they know and that's all they understand is right. the... Is, is the title programs and the main event programs in this company being being jokes or being uh you know uh, treated in, in in a non-serious manner i mean would, would would look at it this way you know just let look at look at let's look at another company would new japan you know would they ever have you know uh, bone soldier or Yoshi tatsu scoring fluke wins over okada and getting involved in the okada omega story i mean they would never do something like that you know, would quickly, look, and I get it's not apples to apples with Japan, in a minute, but maybe that's the point here, okay?
0: Well, I, the last time they might, they, I think they did something similar to that, and, and if you remember, people will, of course, even though we're Road funded and we never say anything bad, go back and listen to our show when Yujiro Takahashi cost of oh, uh, the that. title. Remember what we were doing? And, and our we were so upset about that. Buried that
1: six feet under was this title has never been treated like if you start going down this road with this title, the fans will reject it. They didn't. It was the only time they did something like that, thankfully, maybe because the fans kind of rejected it in the moment. And they saw that it was a poor idea. But, um, you know, th- but this is how WWE has treated their titles for what? What, Rich, like 20 years now, I guess it is. I mean, and, and you know, you see. You know, younger fans are, are less offended by this stuff. But at the same time, the older fans who have more perspective understand that you're kind of just shooting yourself in the foot when you do things like this. Think about people's perceptions of SmackDown before this angle. SmackDown, uh, everyone thought it was the better show than Raw. It was different. We're like, wow, okay, SmackDown's different. Where People were getting into SmackDown. They were like, this is, this is presented in a whole different way than Raw. They're They're making an effort to make the shows different. This brand split thing might work. And now we're going right down that same road with this James Ellsworth stuff. And look, I'm not I'm not opposed to characters like James Ellsworth. I'm just opposed to it at the top. You know, it, it, I think it contributes. It's one of the contributing factors to why this company has such trouble making stars. Because if they would just treat these titles better and 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 protect these titles, you could make stars off of these titles.
0: Right, and I think that's the biggest thing that I I was sort of arguing with people about, um, both you know on our forums and on Twitter as, as well. And I was seeing a lot of conversation about that. Of uh, and a lot of this was going on as well because you know Ellsworth then would face Styles at you know on, on SmackDown or whatever a few days ago. And one of the things that that caused a lot of people going, oh well, you know who cares if Ellsworth wins the title? It's a, it's a stupid title. It's a, who cares? It's just an accessory. It's a, and, and my argument is, yeah, okay, I, you can separate that. You can say. Because it's true. The title does not mean anything, really. I mean, in, in rich, a larger the, overall but, but sense, rich, no. The title is just fault. a prop. Right. No, I agree. Now, let, me, let me finish. Let me finish. Let, let me finish. Yeah, no, because I absolutely agree. It, yes, it is a prop in a fake wrestling story or whatever. So people getting mad at people for 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 caring so much about a title. Yeah, it, I, in in actual in, you know in actuality, yes, it is just a prop. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's a very powerful prop, and it is the best prop to tell pro wrestling storylines. We've seen that for hundreds of years. That that title simply that title being on the line, simply moving that title from one person to another, simply somebody holding that title. That means a lot. And that's how you can drive a story. That's how you can drive a character. That's how you can create a star. There's a there's just something different about that. And, and titles do mean something in a pro wrestling story. No, they don't actually mean anything in real life. They're not like meaningful in that context. But in a pro wrestling story context, they're the most powerful things. They're the most powerful tool to tell a story in pro wrestling. There's nothing more powerful in pro wrestling than a title. And they, WWE just doesn't use it like that. You no, know,
1: if, if the title is meaningless and... and, and and powerless and just a prop that's 100% on the promoter and or the booker or however in this company they don't really have a booker uh, but that's 100% on the booker if you destroy your title to the point where fans are openly saying it doesn't matter who wins it because it's meaningless I mean that's just the, the people who are saying that in defense of Ellsworth are being completely—they're—they're are they are totally lacking self-awareness to the people who do have a problem, you know, to, to the issue at hand and the people that do have a problem with it. That's why we have a problem with it because because you do think that it's—it doesn't have to be meaningless. The, the titles are as meaningless as the company wants them to be. It's on them if people think that the titles are meaningless. And it's been so many years now that we have adults. Who, who, who only see wrestling through this who see that company at least through this lens now it's 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 crazy to me and again, I, I wouldn't be angry if James Ellsworth won the title. it would just be par for the course for this company. I, I'd be like that parent who's not mad but they're just disappointed. It's like here you go again. We're gonna go down this road again and destroy another title that you know you, you did this brand split, you've got a fresh start. You screwed up the Universal title in less than a month, and now you're going to screw up this one. It's just disappointing, because they just don't get it.
0: No, I just 100% agree with that as well. So, uh, looking outside of Ellsworth, uh, main event, AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose, it was a TLC match. What did you think of this? Because I thought it was another awesome performance for AJ Styles, which, which is kind of par for the course of this year. I mean, he's just had an incredible year, uh, particularly in WWE. But um, I thought Ambrose was solid in this match, too, but I thought Styles was the clear-cut you know, guy doing just the crazy stuff throughout the match, just the clear cut best wrestler in the in uh, on that night and in, in that match, uh, in that main event, of course. Uh, what do you think of, of Styles and Ambrose?
1: I didn't think it was a great match, but I thought it was a thrilling stunt show sort of deal. It was a spectacle. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time calling it a great pro wrestling match. There wasn't, you know, much of a story to it or anything like that. It was these two maniacs particularly Styles, just taking turns doing ridiculously dangerous things. And and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought AJ Styles, like you alluded to, was the clear star of the match, even though Ambrose was was fine himself, especially doing that dive off the ladder off of one announced table through the other announced. That was just ridiculous. But Styles was just insane here. I mean, just taking crazy bumps. Um, The springboard 360 through the table on the floor. Um, getting his asshole ripped open. I mean, there was a lot going on here
0: <laughs> that literally happened. So he's not, uh, he's not, you're not being facetious. That's, that's a thing,
1: it, you know, and then, you know, and, and, and to me, yes. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Ellsworth thing, you know, it worked in the context of this story and everything. It's just, I don't need that in my, you know, in, right. in my main event pro wrestling, um, you know, but it, it's like now Ellsworth is this delusional dude who. Thinks that those cheap wins over AJ means that you know he can beat AJ for that title, and that's the direction they're choosing to go. It's not a direction that I want or care about. It, it makes me less. in it, I don't know about you. I don't really watch. I don't. I didn't watch SmackDown this week, and I, I I've lost interest in SmackDown because of James Ellsworth. I, I know I sound like a grump, and and you know that's what people are going to say. But I, I'm just being honest. I am less interested in SmackDown with this guy involved in the mainline story. I just, I can't get into it. I think it's a waste of AJ Styles. I think it's a waste of Dean Ambrose. Um, And and it should have been done weeks ago, but yeah. So he, you know, Ellsworth got involved in the finish. Uh, They got to tell their story and, you know, but, but, but in terms of the the match itself, I mean, AJ Styles was just a force of nature here. This was like an emphatic capper on the ridiculous year that he had. The man's a machine. He's 39 years old. He's never had a major injury where he's, where he's missed a, a ton of time. Um, And and he works and he's been working this same hard, insane pace and this same hard, insane style for almost 20 years now. Yeah,
0: that's really hard to appreciate just how great that is, because, I mean, we kind of forget. And I think we're all kind of guilty of forgetting a lot of his TNA run. But one of the best things you can do is follow Garrett Kidney, our our author uh, at Garrett Kidney. On, on twitter because he's always like almost every day he's tweeting out some aj styles doing something silly in a match that you probably don't remember or you forget and like it's almost on a weekly basis you get one of those and it's just incredible to see what this guy has done that entire run of tna what he did it all through ring of honor and what he's doing now in WWE has not slowed down at all and, and i'm ignoring new japan as well which is silly because he was crazy there too it's just insane like you're saying that the guy's 39 and just elastic like he does a spring forward 450 probably doesn't need to do that the match could be just as good without it but he says yeah you know what hey i'm gonna do the springboard 450 through a table and does it and like it's just it that's just par for the course for Age of styles this year i mean he just had an unbelievable 2016 especially when you remember that it started with the wrestle kingdom match with nakamura you know what i mean like that seems like years ago but that's the same year that's still 2016 that's crazy
1: yeah the, the guy is great and ambrose was was very good here too Th- these kind of matches are right up ambrose's alley
0: you know, oh, the plunder, the, the junk. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because he's not a great pro wrestler or anything like that. I, I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people do. I think he's an average pro wrestler. But you put him in a situation like this, where, like you said, he can plunder. Um, this is where he thrives. So, yeah. I look, the main event. It was. This was really. It, it was a a memorable AJ. No one is ever going to forget this, and it's not just because you know his butt ripped open. it, it, it like this is a was a memorable performance by AJ Styles. He was just incredible here. So, you know, they produced, a, a, if nothing else, a match that people are always going to remember.
0: Uh, I'm going to move now to the, my uh, what I thought was my match of the night. And this was the ladder match for the Intercontinental title. It was The Miz uh, defeating Dolph Ziggler. What do you think of this one? Because I really loved this match. I thought it was one of the better ladder matches I've seen in WWE. And I think it was one of the reasons why is because it was just different than all the other ones. Like, we've gotten so used to the ladder match being um, a certain thing of, like, you know, Big high spots and big, you know, gigantic moves and this sort of stuff. And it's it that's what's kind of been for so long. And that's kind of uh, you know, after Edge and Christian and the Hardys and all those sort of guys, they took the ladder match to that level. And everybody's kind of had to follow that then and, and do that sort of style of a ladder match. Where well, I thought what I loved about this one is it, it wasn't that it was a very methodical, it was a very um, kind of slower paced ladder match. And I and I enjoyed that. It was kind of nice to get that change of pace for this gimmick. What do you think of this one? Because I, I thought Miz and Ziggler both just absolutely killed it. These dudes have great chemistry, and, and again, it just caps off. Uh, a great feud between these two guys and a great year that both of these guys have had in the ring as well. what do you think of this match?
1: Yeah, I thought it was uh, the best match on the show. I thought, um, you know, a lot of these, these Miz Ziggler matches, you know, this is the year where everyone has sort of figured out that Miz is really good. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, um, you know, where, where we've always felt that way, but it's like, this year is like the 2016 is like the praise Miz year. Like everybody is just, you know, and and the thing about these Miz Ziggler matches is, I think, where Miz is getting all this praise, people are ignoring Ziggler. He's been excellent in all of these matches, and I really and, and no worse. At worst, he's been just as good as the Miz in these in these matches. I think, and in this particular match, I I thought Ziggler was the better of the two in this match. I mean, clearly, and I don't even think it was close. I mean, the way you know he you know his selling was tremendous, his facial expressions. There was one spot where he got crushed in the corner, uh, where his head bounced between the turnbuckle and a ladder, and he sort of had this dead-behind-the-eyes expression on his face. Um, I thought Ziggler was outstanding in this match. I really did, and I thought he, he, he outshined The Miz in this one. And um, and, and look, and, and and I think The Miz was very good, but I think Ziggler was that much better. I think outside of AJ Styles, he, he was the best performer on the show, and there were a lot of good performances on the show, and there's another match I really want to spend some time talking about. But uh, and I, and I think actually in the context of a pro wrestling match, I think he was probably better than Styles. Styles, it was just like I said, a series of stunts. Like you said, this was a very good pro wrestling match. I liked the way it was paced. Uh, it, it, look, it had slower pacing, and and I know you said it wasn't like a traditional ladder match, but they still did a lot of risky things too.
0: Yeah, no, it they made just, it, they made the bumps like they weren't like the you know Ziggler jumping off the top. You know, doing a leg drop through a table type things, but they were like risky falls. Like these guys were taking really brutal falls throughout. It was still brutal. It it still had the brutal factor of a ladder match, but I thought it was less of the the showy kind of spotty ladder matches that we've kind of right. become accustomed to and more of like the brutal ladder matches that we really don't get much anymore. I mean, you really, you can kind of on one hand the amount of these sort of ladder matches that there's been in the history of WWE. I mean, there was, of course, I, I'd, I'd put, you know, the Michaels Ramon, probably that first one, uh, there's SummerSlam one as well. And then there's like the Rock Triple H one from uh, that SummerSlam 98 that, that is right up there. And there's a few others, but there's not many. I mean, a lot of them just be kind of become the let's do cool stuff off the top and do these really show, you know, big time spots or whatever. You get a lot less of the, like the let's do a brutal fall off the top because it's way harder to, you know, fall back, you know, on the on the ladder or fall onto a ladder or whatever and do that sort of stuff. But they did it there. I mean, there was there was no shortage of brutality in this match. It it, it absolutely hit that, um, you know, mark for sure. It
1: was And it was a good style of match to, to end the feud.
0: Yes. These guys looked like they killed each other. They killed each other out there. And it was like, all right, we have nowhere else to go. Uh, it would make no sense now if they fought each other again. I mean, of course they probably will, but because that's WWE land. But like, yeah, that was I like. Think it, I think it's over. I, I, think I it's hope over so too. Well,
1: if you if you heard the the commentators after the match, they were like, and I, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but he he was saying, and finally Miz put Ziggler behind. Him. You're right. It, like
0: that it, last. Remember that last Sami Zayn Kevin Owens match that wasn't this Monday when they fought each other.
1: No, you're right. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, it, listen, it's dangerous to, to defend this company and give them the benefit of the doubt ever. But I, it felt like this was the end. For of now, this I mean,
0: there there will issue. be distance. Yeah, there will be sh- for sure distance between them. I mean, it's like it's not going to be in two weeks or whatever, or another month or whatever. It's going to be just some distance between them. So,
1: and even after the match, I felt like Ziggler was tremendous. Just laying outside the ring, looking both dejected, beaten, exhausted. I mean, I I thought Ziggler was fantastic from start to finish here. I I, I really did. I mean, I came away very impressed with Dolph Ziggler's performance in this match. So. Um, you know, like I said, him and Styles to me, the two top performers on the entire show.
0: Absolutely. Um, let's move on. Let's actually just go, uh, match by match now. Um, so we'll go with the opener. I did not watch the, uh, the pre-show. Did you watch the pre-show 10 men? Cause, uh, Curt Hawkins was on there. So I don't know if you, uh, went out of your way to watch it. Cause I, I did not. So. I, I
1: didn't. Okay. And I did not know Kurt Hawkins was in it. So I will be watching it <laughs> as soon as we end It this. looks,
0: I mean, there's a lot of people that I like. There's the hype bros. I don't like them. I like American alpha. Uh, Apollo Cruz, I forgot that he existed, so he was there. Uh, the VOD the Ascension, and Kurt Hawkins. Now that's a team right there. The Vaudevillains, the Ascension, and Kurt Hawkins.
1: That this that match reeks of like. <laughs> remember when when New Japan, um, like 2012, 2013, would do like the free match on uh, what was the what was um uh, where they, what was their pay-per-view gimmick? What service did they use again?
0: I can't. Uh, Ustream, Ustream.
1: Yeah, I remember when they were on Ustream and they would do like that free pre-show match that anyone could watch? Yes. And it would just be the leftovers of whoever. <laughs> right.
0: that. Name. Like without any rhyme or reason to why they're teaming together, like heels with faces and just units next. Get- it was just like who cares, whatever. That's what
1: the, that the match you just described sounds like. This this the leftovers you just put do a random ten-man tag and
0: go. I mean, so, no, I did not watch it. Okay, I did not as well. So we'll go to the actual opener of the pay-per-view. It was the Wyatt family, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, defeating Heath Slater and Rhino to win the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships. What did you think of this match? It was a little under six minutes, um, but I I really liked it. I thought it was... One of the more definitive, you don't get these sort of definitive title wins that much in WWE, especially with the the lesser titles. A lot of it is a lot of back and forth or, you know, guys, you know, getting their comebacks or whatever. This was just, the, the Wyatts just decimated them. I mean, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton just worked as perfectly as a team and just decimated them. And I liked it because I thought Heath Slater and Renner were the perfect team to just have... You just beat them and put them in the rearview mirror and whatever. Who cares? We don't they need not They didn't deserve a, a long drawn out, uh, you know, comeback spot and all that sort of stuff. You just need to put the Wyatt family over here. And I, I like the simple, uh, the simpleness of this match.
1: I thought the heat Slater Rhino team were out their Welcome by like week two or three. Yeah. They, yeah, oh, yeah. Ellsworth. they held the titles way too long. Um, this was like a good TV match. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, like you said, they did the blind tag and then, and then Rhino Luke Harper sacrifices himself. So Rhino gores the wrong guy. And then when Rhino gets in, he doesn't realize that, that Orton's the legal man. So then Orton hits the RKO and pins him. I thought that finish was great. Great
0: camera shot too. WWE, they, they so often screw up camera shots. That one was so perfect though. Cause they just got Orton sliding in out of nowhere and just hitting him with that RKO. It was perfect. It was perfect.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and, and now apparently they're with the Wyatts. They're going to do the new day gimmick, you know, with the Freebird rules. I don't know if I need that on both shows. Uh, You know what I mean but you know it's whatever it's not that big a deal Um, but it was time to move on from Rhino and Heath Slater Uh, hopefully if you're going to keep that team together it's just got to be a prelim comedy team at this point you don't want to keep them in the mix but the match was fine it was like a good TV
0: match yeah yeah, I enjoyed it I'll move on to Nikki Bella and was a no DQ match um, this was weird. I don't know how to describe this match, really. What, what would you... What's your take on this? Because it was really just Nikki Bella spraying Carmella for, like, four minutes with a fire extinguisher.
1: Yeah, it was okay. I mean, you know... It was not as
0: bad as I thought it was going to be. I just didn't no, quite I, understand what the hell was going on at any point, so...
1: Carmella's green, and and she's getting... She's slowly getting better. She's not getting over, but she's getting better, um, little by little. And, you know, I mean, but this was the best you could expect, um you know, this type of match to be um, you know, you know, when it involves someone like Carmella, so I don't have a problem with it. And really it was just there to continue the, you know, the who done it mystery of who attacked Nikki Bella because, you know, she did the promo after the match uh, saying that Natalia was the one who attacked her. And uh, but but then it bothered me because then they did an interview with Natalia later on. But <laughs> no, it
0: Natalia... was the next no, the next segment after this match was Natalia helping somebody pick out an engagement ring.
1: Right, right, but, but I mean, then they did, but then they did, which is fine, because my point is, later on, they did, they did like a backstage gimmick with Natalia, and the and the interviewer brought it up, and Natalia gave away that it was her. It's like they're not even they they cannot allow anything to be subtle in this company. <laughs> right. They have to hammer you over the head with it, and then it makes your commentators look stupid, because then of course the commentators have to have a fake argument about it. Like one guy has to say, Well, it seems like it's maybe it wasn't a ten and then the other one has to go, I don't think so. It's like it's obviously her by <laughs> right, the way right. she's by the way she sold the question to the announcer. I mean, this again, this is another example of this company. Nothing can be subtle and they have to treat all of us like we're nine years old. And, you know, it's it this is why you keep this company at arm's length when they This could have been a, a, a good little storyline. This could have been a good little undercard storyline for the females, which was something I complained about a a, a couple months ago. I don't like when the only story you have involves the women's champion. Why can't all of the women have some storylines, right? And this would have been a good opportunity to do that. And it's like now it's how long are they going to drag this out now when they've completely given away the ending? I mean, it just you know, it
0: just, and you can tell it for a while. I mean, that's a story that you can definitely. I mean, this sort of like the random attacker story, like you can tell that for a while, where we, you know, we all kind of suspect that it's probably Natalia, but she will never admit it, and she's just kind of, that's what you know, I mean, like, like we, yeah, we, like she's always, everyone's big, like, oh, you, it's obviously it was you, and she's like, what are you talking? Yes. No, it wasn't me. What are you talking about? Like, she can just be delusional to the point where everybody knows that it's her. The announcers go, oh, come on, it has to be Natalia, you know, everybody says it's Natalia, and she just still goes, no, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I didn't do it. You look,
1: know? look, here's here's the thing. I know that we know it's her at the end of the day. I get that. I don't like that she had to give away that it was her. Around.
0: Right, exactly. Just sell soon the
1: fucking thing. It's pro right. wrestling. Let us suspend our disbelief. We're begging. <laughs> Please. We're begging to suspend our disbelief when we watch. Don't, don't you want to watch these shows and lose yourself in it? I mean, it just – but the way she answered that question to the interviewer, she just made this face. Like, no. And she totally gave it away. At least sell it and put it over. You know, Be a baby face in that moment be like no absolutely it wasn't me it's uh, you know Carmella's a liar you know be a baby face and bury the heel it's, it's just it, it drives you crazy
0: yeah all right uh then we talked about the Miz and Dolph Ziggler uh, in between that was Baron Corbin and Kalisto in a chairs match uh 13 minutes uh Baron Corbin wins pretty convincingly I thought Kalisto had some really cool spots throughout uh but this was kind of a Baron Corbin domination I I, I don't know I didn't really like this match all that much what, what were your thoughts on it
1: I thought it was great. Oh, okay. I loved this match. To me, when I said there there were three great matches on this show, I this didn't know
0: where the third, third was. was. Okay, well, there you go.
1: This is it. I, I thought this was easily the best match of Baron Corbin's career. I thought, Cloviso, well, that's a low
0: bar, but you're probably right.
1: Uh, he had the decent one with Ziggler. Those are the only two good matches. Remember that decent one? Oh, you're with right.
0: Ziggler? You're right. Okay.
1: He had a bunch with Ziggler, but one was like, uh, kind of stood out from the rest. But you, no, you're right, though. I mean, he hasn't, it's not like this man has a deep resume of matches. That's not what I'm getting at. But and I thought Callisto was excellent, too. He and worked his ass, getting, ass off
2: here.
1: He really did. And he made Baron Corbin look like a million bucks. He took some ridiculous bumps. Corbin bombed him through the six uh, uh, chairs at one point. Then, I mean, the finish looked phenomenal with the end of days on the pile of chairs. Um, Which would definitely Callisto hurt Baron with, Corbin
0: way more than it would hurt Callisto, right?
1: <laughs> absolutely, but we could ignore <laughs> that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, and, and, and also the, and, and actually there was a moment in the last match we're going to talk about that was similar, but and I don't want you to make sure I bring that up if I forget. Okay. But, uh, and, and, and yeah, Callisto after the match, when he was beaten, he had like the, uh, you know, like the, the spit coming out of his mouth. I thought that was a nice little touch, whether it was intentional or not. Um, you know, I like things like that to put over, you know, how, how badly he was beat. look, I thought this was violent. I thought it was nasty. I thought the uh, the the stunts that they did were, were very impressive looking, and I thought Baron Corbin came out of this looking better than he's ever looked before. And if they're going to push the guy, well then fuck it, he might as well look good. So they, I I thought this this match was a positive on all accounts, and in hindsight, I, you know, it, I made you know I laughed at this, but why are they doing a chairs match and with these two guys? But now it makes perfect sense. Callisto was almost the perfect guy both because it's it's Baron Corbin's, that's his deal, he likes to pick on, you know, he, he, he hates the little guys, so that makes sense from that perspective, and from the perspective of Callisto was the perfect guy to fly around and take these bumps and get thrown around by this dude. So I, I this match worked for me, so I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I, I, thought it was a, I thought it was a four-star match. Callisto's really found a niche and has really done a great job as sort of this guy who really gets these monsters over. Remember the feud with Rusev? He was so good in that feud. And uh, so, yeah, Callisto's really found a niche in that regard, and I think that's that's a real valuable person to have on a roster, someone who can, uh, you know, really get these guys over. So uh, he's he's done a good job with that.
0: Are you uh, are you worried that maybe you're not utilizing Callisto to his full abilities? Are you okay if, with him if, being if in if that role? If they ever
1: wanted to flip the switch and push him as a cruiser, uh, you know, put him on 205 Live or, or or have him go after a secondary title, I don't think he looks bad losing to these guys. You know what I mean? Because he's the underdog. I mean, it's... it's. it's...
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah, because when he's shown that he can go, you know, with these guys, yeah, he doesn't win and he does get destroyed in the end, but he shows that he can go a little bit with them and and, and can, you know, he, he's crafty enough. And, you know, in, in this match, there was plenty of times where he, you know, almost looked like he was going to beat Baron Corbin or almost had, you know, the right idea or whatever. So that, yeah, if he goes back and, and faces a fellow cruiserweight, you have the idea. Okay. Yeah. He lost to Baron Corbin, but Baron Corbin's, you know, four times his size or whatever. He's a giant compared to him. So yeah, Kalisto can easily just go back to the cruiserweights or go back to a, a juniors or whatever and do fine. And, and I don't think he's worse to the wear because he lost to a big man. So, so I a hundred percent agree with you on that. So now we'll move on a uh, tables match, uh, SmackDown women's title. Of course, Alexa bliss, Defeating Becky Lynch to win the title. Joe, were you surprised that Alexa Bliss no, is your new I, SmackDown I, Women's I Champion?
1: expected her to win, uh, especially when the betting odds came out. But um, it, it just, you know, the match, this was the worst match on the show. I, I Especially on, on second watch, it I became obvious yeah. that it was the worst match on the show. It was plotting. It was slow. Um, they looked lost at times.
0: Uh, Alexa's offense is so bad. I like I, and I uh, she puts a lot of effort into it. I know she's trying to improve, but her offense is like I club you no, in the you're back, not wrong. and that's it. Like she's still just she's got nothing else. Like and that made this match just go on forever and ever because her only offense was I, I just pound Becky with my forearms into the back, and that's it. That's all it was with Alexa, and that's you know you can only go so long with that, especially if you're going to give them almost 20 minutes. And I think this minutes,
1: kind of match I mean. is a hindrance to Becky. I think she would just be better in a situation where she could just have a match and and lead the less ex- less experienced wrestler through. But you've got to try to utilize the the step, you know. And I thought it got in the way here, and they just it, it just didn't work. Um, the finish came out of nowhere. I mean, it looked impressive, but it, it came out of nowhere. They didn't really build to it or anything like that.
0: Alexa, stop! I have an Amazon Echo, so I cannot talk about Amazing. Amazon. You Blitz gotta apparently. turn it and
1: unplug it. Alexa,
0: stop! I what can't a talk about this moment in, I in, in, in this podcast. Wait. <laughs> i was wondering i was like what the i thought my washing machine was like breaking i just hear like me- like some odd oh, noise oh, in the oh, background like, what the hell and i'm thinking what caused that and I'm oh i talked about a you've got the robot so gimmicks in the go. house
1: that the alexa gimmick it
0: <laughs> wow i do yeah i just got it last week so i, I no longer can talk about uh, so Ms. how come list before why again, weren't so. you like
1: uh alexa play gwen stefani wind it up like that's what you should
0: you're right. Well, it's it's, it's kind of hard. I don't know if... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Alexa, play Gwen Stefani, wind it up. Yeah. Do you hear it?
1: Yeah, you could have done it. Been, you there know, it been, is. We have a legitimate we a producer. producer We have here. a producer
0: here. That's good. Can you say... <laughs> Finally.
1: Uh, Alexa...
0: Joe, the the world is your oyster with this Alexa, uh, this Amazon Echo, so you let me know, what do you want me to do? Well, you use that voicewrestling.com slash Amazon link, and you can definitely get it, sir.
1: If you say, like, Alexa, give me Callisto's, the results of Callisto's last five matches, will she, like, go to cage match and pull that up?
0: Uh, I don't know if uh, she does it, let's let's see here. Alexa, tell me about Callisto. No, oh, it told me to go fuck myself, so, alright. Will! It doesn't, it, like, it basically just searches Google for, like, basic stuff. Uh, it plays Amazon Music, plays Spotify Music, uh, plays Bluetooth, like, converts stuff. It has, like, games built into it and stuff, but, uh, I think Cage Match would have to build an app for it to work, but, uh, maybe that's in the works. Unbelievable. I have no idea. Not- Alexa, yeah, now- stop! Now oh, God, great. <laughs> Alexa, stop! Thank God. Alright. I had to hear that question so <laughs> i I guess I'll so, wrap up this match. Uh, okay, uh, so I can never, I, I can never talk about, I can't talk about Miss Bliss ever again. I have uh, to call I her, her something well different. Two
1: o five live now.
0: Oh boy, I, <laughs> it's, it's gonna go well. Uh, Joe, two o five live, the cruiserweight spectacular, the most exciting hour of wrestling TV, according to Marwin Owl. Uh, what are you thinking after two weeks of two o five live?
1: I think two o five live is boring. I think it's uh, poorly put together, and I think it's an absolute bomb. And I, I I can't bury it enough. I think it's an absolute disaster from every perspective. I think they're doing nothing right. I think this is not even a remote improvement from how the cruiserweights were presented on Raw.
0: If anything, it's almost a downgrade in some ways because you, you give them this special platform. You give them a new platform. You give them all sorts of stuff. And, and and one of the things that if, if people listen back, we were excited about 205 Live. We were very excited about it because people are, oh, you just hate everything. And da, da, da. No, no, no. We were very excited for it because we maybe we worked ourselves into a shoot thinking that maybe this would be a self-contained universe of, okay, all this stuff happens on Raw. But this 205 Live is whole different. I mean, this is just these guys doing whatever they do because they've seen the template, which is the, 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 the stupidest thing about this entire thing is that you see the template with the Cruiserweight Classic. And yes, there are fundamental differences. This is live in front of a crowd, which is, again, another issue. We'll get to that here in a little bit. You know, this is after a SmackDown. This is, you know, not on tape delay. You know, whatever. There's a lot of different things. It's not in full sale, whatever, etc. etc. But you see... Two templates here. You have the raw template, which has just not worked at all, and bombed, and nobody cares about it. The wrestlers don't care. The fans don't care. Nobody cares. Everybody hates it. And then you have the Cruiserweight Classic, which everybody loved and was, like, the most watched thing on the network when it was up there. Remember that? Remember the Cruiserweight Classic, Joe? I remember it. It was
1: great. and
0: and Yeah, it was the most watched thing on the network for a lot of weeks, too, which is so weird because, you know, it was good. And people watched it, and they invested in it because it was good. So we have a template. We know what to do, and yet now we have this 205 Live. We present it as something different. We presented as the most exciting hour of wrestling on TV. And then it's this. It's, it's almost more mundane than the Cruiserweights on Raw, which I thought was really hard to do. But at least the Cruiserweights on Raw were on like, uh, they were during a portion of Raw where the crowd maybe still cared about certain things or maybe still was invested in making noise. Where now you have them after SmackDown. That show, did you watch the second week? Did you watch this course, week's yeah. episode? You couldn't hear a thing. The entire every one of the matches you couldn't hear. It was silent problem. in that Everyone's place. Everyone's
1: leaving, just like we knew they would. And
0: here's well, the other why thing: Why wouldn't you leave? You're gonna stay for four hours and sit and, here you're gonna and watch, watch Aria these guys Daivari
1: throw on fucking you know, fucking <laughs> right. arm bars. And the people who stay right. are bored out of their mind because the matches stink. The matches, the matches have not garbage. been good. There's been six matches on the two weeks, and and one match has been good: the Swan Kendrick match, the title change week one was a good it wasn't even a great match it was a good match with a really good finish and a great promo by Swan which was tremendous which was the kind of stuff that got the Cruiserweight Classic over that that very personal promo by Rich Swan it was great otherwise between the two weeks it's it's been terrible it's been boring the worst thing it can be is boring it's not even
0: yeah it, it can never be boring you cannot it's it's have the even Cruiserweight be boring bad.
1: it's just bad there's nothing compelling about this show you're right, it probably has regressed from Raw. It probably has. And we all know they botched everything on Raw. Since the Cruiserweight Classic has ended, I can't point to one thing they've done with this Cruiserweight deal that's been the right move. Every step along the way...
0: Swan winning the title. Swan winning the title last week and cutting that promo about, you know, this is for my mom and, you know, that, that's it. That might be it. From, <laughs>
1: yeah. from day one with the Raw debut, by not having your champion on Raw, on the first raw by not even having TJ Perkins on the show. And it's all been downhill from there. Brian Kendrick has been the focus of the, of the main, he's been in every single cruiserweight main event. Correct. I mean, Uh, I believe that is correct. Yes. You know, title matches on raw and the two main events on, on two Oh five live. You've built the division around Brian Kendrick, whether he was the guy they featured week one, even though he wasn't even champion yet. They've built it around Brian Kendrick who's fine, he does a nice job, but we've discussed the issues with that. Okay? He should have come later as something different. Okay? That's mistake number one. Then, 205 Live. You have all these new, exciting, fresh talents. They opened up the first 205 Live with the fucking Bollywood boys. The Bollywood boys, Drew Gulak, and Tony Nese. Match number two was Aria Divari and Jack Gallagher. Okay? Now, out of those six men, and you might enjoy one or two of those men, that's fine. But if you were to rank out the 14 men on the roster, whatever it is, most of those six men I just named would be in your bottom third of interesting people on the roster. Would you disagree or would you agree with that?
0: I would 100% those are, agree with you. Those yeah. are
1: That's the bottom third of your roster, and that's what you rolled out on the first episode. Okay? Uh, the Bollywood, that's who you roll, that's who you debut this thing with? <laughs> and there, for people who are telling me today, oh, well, Tozawa's on the Japan tour, and Grand Metalik is finishing up in Mexico, and, and Prince Ali is finishing up his indie dates. Every single one of these people were there week one. They were all on the stage. They introduced every one of them. They're standing there in their gear. Get them in a match. What are you doing? What are you doing?
0: Or don't start the thing and until those, you got you, the people you ready. You, you know what I mean?
1: Okay. They were all there week one. I don't want to hear about how they weren't here this week. They were all there week one. And you chose to roll this thing out with the Bollywood Boys, dry as sand, Drew Gulak, Tony Nese, who I'm the only person on the planet who likes Tony Nese. Nobody likes Tony Nese. <laughs> oh, no,
0: stop. He got in a Hall okay. of Fame. He's in a Hall of Fame now, right? What, the the Bo- Northeast Wrestling Hall of Fame? Not the Northeast Wrestling. Which one is it? I don't
1: even know what you're talking about.
0: He got inducted to some Hall of Fame the a few Bolly- weeks ago. The, the, I forgot what. Whatever indie he was Bollywood in. Bollywood so. Boys
1: are indie geeks. Drew Gulak is dry as sand.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, that's massive disrespect to the Gold of Force protecting champion, sir.
1: Nobody likes Tony Nice except for me. Okay? Arya Davari is the most boring guy on the roster. Okay? I told he you. He hasn't it. had I a good it. match. To... Okay, look, I get it. He suffered through the match with Ho Ho Lun. He should have a job for life for being stuck with Ho Ho Lun in the Cruiserweight Classic. Okay? <laughs> he should. He should have a job for life for suffering through that. But he's boring.
0: Well, he he's the guy that's exactly he's fine for that roster because he can fit with anybody. He's a good accessory a guy.
1: I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is featuring the jobber every week.
0: Right, he should lose. He should lose to, to okay. you know, <laughs> he should lose to Grand Metallic so or so whatever. That, that's so, his so role. Then the, <laughs> and then
1: Jack Gallagher, who look, I get that people like him. I I don't ever want to see Jack Gallagher stinks. I'm tired of Jack Gallagher. I,
0: I like him. I like, like him. him. I'll, look, I'll the, give out
1: of those six men okay all right so here, there's my point you like jack gallagher and i know there's some other people who like Gallag- jack gallagher i happen to like tony knees but out of those six minutes like it's like the six driest most unlikable people on the roster yeah you might like one or two of them but that's who you roll this thing out with and then you come back the second week and you give us jack gallagher and daivari again
0: they, which, <laughs> after it was, they they us, it was on raw too it was on raw as well that's the best
1: jack gallagher Davari matches in seven days <laughs> In seven days, they gave you three Jack Gallagher and Devari matches. Go back on your little network, people listening to this, okay? Put on the first (laughs) 205 Live. Pause the fucking screen when they have the whole roster up on the stage, okay? Put your hand up to your chin. Rub your chin. Take a look at that talent. And you show me anyone on the planet who would say, you know what? The first big feud we're going to roll out on this show, you know what we need to do? We got to do Jack Gallagher versus Davari. Who in their right mind would choose that as the big feud that you're going to roll out and do three matches in seven days? Those two guys. And I don't want to hear about the people who aren't there. Because there's other people in the back who you could have done something with. Even if you knew Tazawa was going, whatever. They were all there week one. It's ridiculous. And Rich, the matches are bad. How many... How many yeah, one-and-a-quarter-star yeah, t- De'Vari versus Jack Gallagher matches do we have to sit through? <sighs> yeah. They're terrible.
0: They're terrible matches. It it, it it can't be that, too. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. So when you look at it, and, and and we talked about this a lot. I mean, there's never been less reason to have a cruiserweight division than in today's WWE because there's so many guys doing dynamic stuff on the main roster. And I think that's the point that a lot of people are kind of forgetting when we're complaining about it and we're talking about, you know, I, I think we don't necessarily want super high-flying... We don't, it, Everything doesn't have to be spot-fest. Everything doesn't have to be a super-high-flying match. Obviously, that'd be a good thing, but all we're asking for, I think you and I and most people that are complaining about the show, is for it to be more exciting than SmackDown and be more exciting than Raw. That is just a bit... However you want to do that, however you want to become more exciting or be something that people want to watch, you have to do that. You cannot have SmackDown with the main roster happen. You, you, you follow... They're following AJ Styles. Think about that. AJ Styles is on SmackDown... The lights are going dim. They're redoing the ropes, and they're saying, "All right, we need you to hang around for another hour because you're going to watch a bunch of really small guys work each other over, uh, work arms over, and, and Noam Dar is going to work an arm bar for five minutes, and then Jack Alher is going to, you know, sell his leg for ten minutes. Are you guys in? You want to stay around for another hour to watch that? And what's everybody doing? They're going, "Oh, you know what? No, I don't. I really don't. It's, it's I'm going to leave. Even
1: Bye." About the lack of flying, it's boring.
0: Right. It's just got to be good wrestling. It has to be something dynamic, something different. It's just smaller dudes doing. And and, and again, another thing that really got me on this the second week as well was one of the first images you see of this entire show is Cedric Alexander and Alicia Fox, the love interest. And oh, okay, that's his girlfriend or whatever. You know what? And I get, yes, it's kayfabe and yeah, all this sort of stuff. The thing that I think we all loved about the Cruiserweight Classic, and a lot of people loved about the Cruiserweight Classic, is they didn't have that bullshit. It was real men. Cedric Alexander was Cedric Alexander. He wanted to win because he loves wrestling, and he wanted to prove he was better. Rich Swan was a real person. He is fa- you know, he was he was an orphan, and he didn't, you know, he lived, he was homeless, that sort of stuff. That's all real. We know that Rich Swan went through that. We know that Cedric Alexander is not married, you know, he's not dating Alicia Fox. The guy's married or whatever. I, I forgot what his exact relationship is, but he's not dating Alicia Fox. So it's like immediately you have that disconnect where I look at this and I go, well, no, that's not Cedric Alexander. Like, and and this is a show where you can do something different. It can be something different. It doesn't have to be a WWE universe. These guys can exist that's in a, a real you know, universe, rich, a real world. You just, it that's can be a that. Better
1: point. As soon as you see that, it just, it's more of the same. It's it's, it's WWE universe. It's just WWE with Raw smaller with guys. Smaller so guys cool. Guys. I don't when care. You see stuff like that. Right. Our cruiserweight classic was. Dr- th- listen, we praised that cruiserweight classic to no end because it felt so different, and 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 then the matches delivered as well. These matches are just boring, and it's just more of the same. And they're featuring the wrong people, the Bollywood boys and Devari and Jack Gallagher and Tony Nice and Drew Gulak and Noam Dar. Honestly, Rich. They would be the last seven people I would personally feature on the show. They they have picked the seven bottom feeders to put on these shows. You might listen, you might like Jack Gallagher, someone listening might like Drew gulock someone else listening might like some. But look, if, if you were to rank out the people on the roster and take a massive I guarantee you, those seven or eight guys, six, seven or eight guys I just named. Would you know? Would average out at least on the bottom half of the people on this roster of wrestlers people are interested in? This is who they're choosing to feature on these shows. Noam Dar, Rich. Okay, look. You might have he's disagreed so with bad. me on Jack Gallagher. Noam, and then look, I, I at least I can see why Jack Gallagher appeals to some people. Right, you see the appeal he's, he's, uh, you know, of Jack. he's different. Yeah. He's 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 got some uh, charisma to him. He's got some personality. I'm just not into him. You know what I mean? Maybe I, it was too strong when I said he stinks, but I was fired up, okay? But but yeah, that's I'm fair. just no, not into him at all. I have no interest in, in watching Jack Gallagher wrestle. He, he bores me. But Noam Dar, Rich, this guy's special. <laughs> is there a more? Is there a bigger charismalist void on this fucking entire WWE roster than Noam Dar? I
0: mean, if there is, show him to me. That, that post match promo to us. I'm all, I'm all it was about so the heel turn because maybe
1: that'll give him some juice because this guy has none. I mean, no way I'm do-
0: he, Yeah, there is. And,
1: and his, his wrestling is boring. He has no personality. He has no charisma. He doesn't look good. What is the appeal with this guy? I mean, I saw him a couple of times before he came into the company. He made no real impression on me. And now I know why he made no real impression on me because now that I see him every fucking week, because. Because for some reason, this is a guy that they choose to feature. Okay, even though he has nothing going for him, nothing. This man has nothing going for him. Not a thing. Okay. Now that I've seen him every week, I, I can honestly say he's below average. He's bad. He's not a good pro wrestler. What does he bring to the table? Explain it to me, I don't Rich.
0: Know. Arm bars. A lot of arm bars. I'll God, tell you this that.
1: This guy stinks.
0: Yeah, he he would really. I mean, I know WWE does not have a developmental uh, territory, but he would really. Probably I don't do even well know why he, he signed. There, you know, and I don't, I don't even
1: think he. Has, Rich, I don't think I don't he has really. any potential.
0: Yeah, he's pretty terrible. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, mean, I really look, couldn't tell you what the hold no on uh,
1: appeal is, Chinese, is, and they're trying to break. I get why he's on the roster, even though I think he's uh, horrendous. I don't understand why this guy's on the roster. I really don't.
0: Well we thought they would do some like they do some like Israeli type thing with him but they really have it they kind of play up more that these from Scotland I don't, I don't even right? think like a, I don't know do they What do they play up with him
1: nationalistic angle to this China I get it they want to break into that market. I don't even think that's it with Dar I I, I, I don't know what it is I I'm so confused by this man and 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 what people see in this guy I, he's awful yeah when he zips up he's, that he's stupid jacket when he gets on the stage right <laughs> and he zips up that stupid jacket. Every time he does that, I hope that the zipper never stops and he just disappears into the ether and never comes back. He just zips himself up like a cartoon and fucking disappears off the stage. And, and then nobody ever knows
0: him, him again. ever again. Nobody ever utters the you, word "Don't ever again."
1: From, the, from history, like Chris Benoit, he's just <laughs> you don't hear from him ever again. Just just make him go away. I I, just, I see I, I just don't get it. And he's on the show every week. And and now he's going to be a featured actor. Look, I really hope the heel turn works. I really do because hey, otherwise the guy. I think they did that because they realize he's there's nothing to him. I mean, I don't think the plan was for this guy to be a heel. I think he was just bombing. God, he's bad. This show really is bad, Rich. I mean, it's so boring.
0: It's. I terrible. mean, I had this... yeah. And I like it. it... No, yeah. I'm go, um, go ahead. I'm just. I just, I don't, yeah, I, and that's we were kind of arguing with a lot of people on Twitter and maybe not arguing, discussing uh, with people on Twitter about five Live, and, and there are people that are, you know, give it a chance, give it a chance, and I think one of the problems that I have with that give it a chance mantra um, particularly with WWE and particularly with, you know, cruiserweights or light heavyweights or whatever, is that we have enough history, we have enough context to know that you know, I'm not going to give Vince McMahon the benefit of the doubt when he's booking light heavyweights or booking cruiserweights, because this is always what it is. It's always this. And we're always told, oh, wait it, wait it out, wait it out, wait it out. I remember, you know, God, 1997. Remember the first time they really had made a go at it? They really made a go at this light heavyweight thing. And who was in that tournament? It was, like, Scott Putsky and Brian Christopher, and, like, yeah, they made Takamichi Noku out of there, and that was kind of cool, but, like, within, you know, a few months, that title was on Gilbert, and it was just a joke, and that, that was it, and then it disappeared and never was seen from again, and then they brought it back, you know, in you know, the early 2000s, they did, I guess, an okay job with it a little bit I mean it was kind of just bouncing around between like Paul London and Brian Kendrick and those sort of guys but that you know I'm not going to give Vince McMahon or WWE the benefit of the doubt when it comes to Cruiserweights because we've seen it time and time again they just don't get it they don't understand what makes them special they don't get why people want to watch them I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt I'm not going to wait it out because it's always this fucking same
1: you can't you cannot play the let it play out card with this company because they will inevitably let you down
0: and it's always the same stuff. We always have to let it play out, and it always ends up exactly and, how we think it's gonna mean, going to oh, end up. It's only been
1: a week. It's only been two weeks. No, bullshit. Here's the, no, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. Anyway. Like, Rich, it's been months. The Cruiserweight, the Cruiserweight it has Classic months, yeah. ended in September. And this show, we have, enough, we have a big enough sample size with these Cruiserweights. This is what it is, guys. This is what this is. This is what this was on Raw. I gave them a clean slate when 205 Live started. We've had two weeks of 205 Live. This is what this is. It's been three... It's been, what, three pay-per-view cycles? How many times did they have... Cru- they've had two Cruiserweight title matches on pay-per-views, right? So, I mean, we're on the third pay-per-view cycle with this. Guys, what are, what are you letting play right. out at this point? This, this, is, this is it. I mean, this it is, is it, it, it. Is. yeah. <laughs> okay? I'm going right. to tell you the only way that this gets better and even comes close to reverting back to what the, the, the feel of the Cruiserweight Classic was, Rich. The only way... Is if Vince McMahon loses interest in it, this is the Larry theory. When Vince McMahon loses interest in something or isn't paying attention to it, it's usually something that's pretty good for for you know the quote unquote smart type of fan like us. But as long as Vince is paying attention to this, and you know, and it's his new toy, this is what you're going to get. You have to have Vince not involved, which he probably wasn't with the Cruiserweight Classic. I'm not asking for four-star flippy-do matches every week.
0: Right, because that's impossible. And you can't then, have that on a weekly show. We, we understand nice. that.
1: But I, I'm, not, I'm just asking for a show that isn't boring. You can ha- this show can have the Cruiserweight Classic feel without the constant series of four-star matches. You can do squash matches with the Cruiserweight Classic feel. You can do a six-minute TV match with that feel. And then you can have your 18-minute main event that blows everybody's doors off every week. Why can't you have that with the Cruiserweight Classic feel? You absolutely can. Reverting back to our Ellsworth conversation and the valuing of titles. They just choose not to. This shit has worked, guys. If they wanted to give you that, they could. Let it play out is bullshit. It has played out. This is what it is. And if it does get better, look, I I would love for it to get better because I would love to be able to sink my teeth into something like this. But right now, it stinks. It's boring and it's bad. There's been six matches and five of them haven't been good. The main event this week
0: wasn't that good. good. You can't do that. And and, and one of the things, again, kind of circling back to a point we made at the beginning is, you you know— if, you, if, if you're saying, okay, well, these guys, well, was not ready yet, and Metallic's not ready yet, and these guys aren't ready yet, and they're not here, and whatever. If you want to make that excuse, even though, like, you, you kind of pointed out it's a bullshit excuse, but if you want to make that excuse, then don't start the show until those guys are ready. Because the problem with this is now we're, we're two weeks in. This thing is a bomb. It's an absolute dud. Crowds are leaving. Nobody cares. We're on this show burying it. A lot of people, like... You're going to get to a point where they're not going to be able to do this thing live because there's not going to be anybody left in the crowd. People are going to catch on that. Oh, sh- I'm not going to stay for 205 live. This shit sucks. And then you can't do that then. You, you, you had to start out. This thing had to be something that people had to want to watch from the beginning. It had to be something dynamic. That first episode had to be, Oh my God. If you're not watching this, you are missing out. You know what I mean? Like, remember, absolutely. go back to you're that so first right NXT show. What? Remember that first NXT WWE Network show? The first TakeOver? They had that cesaro Sami Zayn. They didn't even wait for the main event of that show. They said, here's the first match we're presenting. Look how fucking great this is. You are not leaving. You're going to watch this every week now. And we did because we said, oh, wow, okay. Like, they didn't just wait. They didn't say, oh, in the main event, it's going to be really good. But here's all the shit before that. They said right off the bat, this is awesome. You need to watch this. 205 Live needed to be that. It needed to be the first match had to go Oh, my God, this is so much different, and I have to tune in every single week. And that live crowd has to know we have to stay every single week. We have to stay and watch this stuff. I'm not going to leave and think I'm going to miss this. Oh, my God, I cannot possibly miss this. You can miss this. You can miss Jazz Gallagher yeah. and Arya Devari. You can miss that. You can go home and get home and, and get home before midnight when you've been there for four hours. You know, you can do that now because it's Arya Devari and Jack Gallagher. Good, cool, I can leave now. You can't allow that to happen. The first
1: impression they chose to make were the Bollywood Boys. And the, and the next impression they chose to make was Jack Gallagher tying Davari up in a knotted ball in comp with comedy spots. Okay, let me ask you this question. I'll pose this question to you and the listeners, for people who the the scant few people who are still defending this mess. Okay, from the moment that T.J. Perkins gave that great promo after he had those two great matches at the Cruiserweight Classic Final. Okay, you remember, of course. Okay, from that moment. What or who has gotten over with the Cruiserweights since that point? And yes, that's a rhetorical question because the answer is nothing. Nothing has gotten over. Brian Kendrick hasn't gotten over. TJ Perkins bombed on the main roster because they destroyed his – they gave him that awful gimmick. Okay? Uh, the Cruiserweight Classic matches are, are, are contested with, with – not Cruiserweight Classic. The 205 matches are contested with nobody in the building and no one responding to anything. The closest thing to anything that's gotten over has been – uh Rich Swan, maybe, kind of, sort of. Cedric Alexander is kind of popular. Nothing has gotten over. All this stuff, you know, the matches at the pay per view are are, are are fought to the crickets. They're fighting off chance during the title matches. 205 has been a complete bomb. What they're doing is not working from any perspective. Rich, if. if
0: right. I, I love the crowd shots in the background, too. We can see people just walking hey man, through the aisles. If it's were just going like, nuts for this is like We'd be wrong. Right yeah, then absolutely then yeah we'd just be idiots bitching for no reason but like there's no they're not making any noise like and they're the, all leaving so i feel like that's not it. working i don't know that's a hot take that when everybody's leaving and nobody's making noise exactly. that it might not be working but i guess we're wrong i, I, mean, I guess i don't know i'll i'll admit has when we're wrong gotten but... a
1: monster pop off of this thing ever i mean no you know it's like when cedric alexander or rich swan get like you know a, a mile polite we go crazy clap like, oh push this because no one else gets any reaction. And you're right. Now they've established that it stinks. So when you do have all these, you know, better talents and more dynamic talents come in, people will have given up already and they're working uphill. all
0: right it's out of the habit. It's it's already lost that habit for I, it's lost the habit for me. I'm not. I mean, I'll maybe watch it on VOD if somebody tells me it's good, but I'm not I, sticking I mean, around and look, watching look, it.
1: Think about the fans in the arenas who have no idea who Akira Tozawa or Grand League or Mustafa Ali are. Why would they give them a chance when they just sat through, you know, Noam Dar for three weeks? They're just going to think, all right, here's another small guy who's going to not be interesting. They're, so they're fighting right. a battle <laughs> even when the better talent is put on the show. Man, that first week, just like the first week on Raw, they blew it the first week when they had everybody in the building at their disposal. Rich, the first match should have been a six-man tag that was just balls to the fucking wall that had everybody talking. Then then if you would have done your goofy Jack Gallagher-Davari match, I'd give you a pass. Because then I'd say, you know what? They came out kicking, they came out kicking ass. Now they want to do their little storyline with these two boring. That's fine, but I can't give them a pass because the whole show stinks. Let's do the Observer Hall of Fame.
0: Let's do that. Okay, Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, we, I wanted to talk about this last week. I, I had to miss the show last week, and I think I texted you when the Hall of Fame came out, and I said, God damn it, I can't believe I have to miss this week. But Because uh, I love talking about Ho- Observer Hall of Fame, especially the results is always a good thing to do. Um, but yeah, good news about the Observer Hall of Fame. They, uh, they welcome four new members in the class of 2016. You have Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan going in, Gene Oakland Sting, and the 19th century pioneer James McLaughlin. So Joe, uh, I know you were around for James McLaughlin's peak, so I will. Uh, the floor is yours. Tell me all about... Uh, the first American pro wrestling champion, James McLaughlin.
1: Uh, you, sir, can go fuck yourself. I was not around for James McLaughlin. Uh,
0: See, that's like, that was not even funny, because he was like 1860. So, I mean, that's yeah, you know, like...
1: that's really taking the joke a little too far. You know what I mean? Like, it is. Like, it really is. Yeah. Like, if he was a rival of Luthes or something. <laughs> right, then I could almost do it. But, like, it, he but... died,
0: like, 150 years ago. So that doesn't really <laughs> yeah. quite work. Like.
1: Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. And, and he's one of these. Every now and then, Dave will put in a guy, you know, a, a pioneer. And uh, they're not even up for votes. But the big stories here are obviously Brian Danielson and Sting, who's been the controversial one for years. I did. I was not a Sting voter. Um, I'm not offended that he's in. Nor was in. I. I'm not, I'm, I'm not offended that he's in or fired up over the fact that he's in. I don't, you know, I, it's, you know, once people, uh, see, Rich, here's the thing. I don't know about you. I get more fired up about people who don't get in than when people do get in. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Oh, that's how I am with the Baseball Hall of Fame, too. I mean, I'm fired up about Tim Raines, but the second he gets in, I'll be like, ah, cool, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, who's the I, next guy? Who's the next guy to care about that's not in? What like, I that's, mean yeah, is, I, if, if I like someone... to fight more. I like to fight more than the actual triumph in the end. It doesn't. Yeah,
1: to clarify, what I kind of mean is, like, if I feel strongly that someone belongs in and they're not in, that makes me upset. But if I feel that someone doesn't belong in and then they get in anyway, it doesn't bother me nearly as much because look, if 60% disagree with me, I have to accept that I'm wrong. I kind of look at it from that perspective. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't fire me up. Like, I wasn't a Brock Lesnar voter, and there's people who are really angry about Brock Lesnar, but I'm not. I'm like, okay, well, all right. I did, just didn't see it that way, but that's all right. Like, Sting, there's people who are really angry he finally got in. I wasn't a Sting voter, but I'm not upset about it. I don't know. It doesn't bother me at that le- Here's the other thing, too, Rich, and maybe it's because we come from a sports background. I think guys like us who follow, um, you know, Sports Hall of Fames, we realize that occasionally, and I'm, and this doesn't mean that I think Sting isn't worthy. I have no problem with Sting being in. But occasion, we know that occasionally someone who doesn't belong in a Hall of Fame is going to get in that one. That's just how it goes. It's an unfortunate part of it. And the one argument that I hate, I cannot stand when people do this, Rich, is with the Observer Hall of Fame, is they'll say things like, well, if X got in, then that means A, B, and C should be in, too.
0: right then now the floodgates officially open that (laughs) if jim rice is in the hall of fame everybody else that's better than jim rice now gets in like right
1: and 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 to me that's a bullshit argument my tact when it comes to that is if x got in and i don't think he belongs then i just chalk that up as as either a mistake or someone who slipped through the cracks i don't think that that should lower the standard because someone got in who i don't i don't personally believe got in so i i cannot stand that argument it drives me nuts when people do it um you know, so that does bother me. As far as Sting getting in, I didn't vote for him. You didn't vote for him. We've talked about Sting and the Hall of Fame ad nauseum. I don't know if you have much to add about Sting. Um, obviously, I mean, can we attribute his short WWE run to what put him over the top, though? Do you think that's what it was?
0: I think you'd have to. I, I think uh, one of the trends, I, I think you absolutely have to count the WWE run um, and people kind of being a little bit more aware of it. Maybe people being, you, you know, checking out a little bit more, you know, maybe looking at the history of him. But I think what we saw with both these guys, what we saw Brian Danielson, which we'll get to here in a little bit. And Sting, I think, is when guys finally put an end to their career and there's a definitive, OK, now they're done. It seems voters are now ready to have them come in. Brian right now, so we saw absolutely. Last year, we talked about, how is this guy not in? What the hell? Why is this guy not in? And we really saw that largely it was because people were like, all right, what, what else is going on? Is, I don't feel like he's done yet. I'm going to wait till he's not an active competitor. And the second then he says, hey, I'm retired. I'm not coming back. Then he just easily gets in. And he get, easily got in this year, too. And we'll get to him in a little bit. And I wonder if the same thing happened with Sting where people were holding out for, well, I want to see if he gets in WWE. I want to see if he has one WWE run in him. And we saw it and it was a really fun run. It was a really cool run. He had a, a, you know, a few okay matches and was kind of a big deal for a while. And then now that's done. And now I think people are finally happy going, okay. The, the career of Sting has wrapped up. I can officially say that was Sting, that was his career, and now I can look at it in totality. And I think that might be a part of why a Sting and why a Daniel Bryan, uh, Ryan Danielson rather, why they got in. And, and I don't know if it's that. I think a lot of it is, you know, of course, the, that Sting's WWE run, but I do think the finality of that career and that now we know that it's wrapped up and we saw that last little run that I think people then can appreciate a little bit more of what he did before that, knowing that that's it, that this is the resume and it's done. And there's nothing he's going to add to it at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I I do think there's probably an argument to be made that um, maybe with some voters you, you really need that WWE stamp of approval to to put you over the top I I, I don't know but um, nothing he did in WWE swayed me though it didn't sway my opinion. Um, he's a guy I always thought was on my fence but I could never pull the trigger on him. there were just so many um, there were just so many things I couldn't get past with his candidacy one of which was during his years with WCW and I don't remember the exact numbers. But out of something like a potential 72 pay per views, he only main evented like 19 of them. So there's this perception that Sting was the guy who carried WCW during his career, when in reality, that just doesn't stack up. You know what I mean? So I just, it's, it's, uh, that's why I, I was not a Sting voter. Now, Brian Danielson were both Brian Danielson voters. He got 80%. Do you think that him retiring is what finally. Absolutely. So you think that the theory of people not wanting to vote for active wrestlers is a sound one? I think so. My dog is like sitting...
0: My dog is sitting very close to the power strip that could ruin this entire podcast. You are
1: very nervous right
0: now. Yeah, can you... uh, Hey, Lou, Lou, hey. Let's go like an inch this... Okay, whatever, I'll see what he does. Can't move his fat ass. He's like... (laughs) Move, goddammit. Son of a bitch, one sec. There we go, okay, I got him off. All right. Dog shenanigans. Jesus Christ, As a follow-up
1: question. And I know how you're going to answer this, but I'd like the, the listeners to think about this. Okay? This is why I think that those voters have their head up their ass, to put it politely. Um, if, if, if you voted for him this year and you didn't vote for him last year, that, and, and he added nothing to his resume, what's the difference whether he was active or not? That means you thought he had enough to get in last year, but simply because he was an active wrestler, you wouldn't pull the trigger. But but eleven months of inactivity where he added nothing to his candidacy, simply because he's not active anymore. You're going to vote for him? I, I cannot stand What's the logic behind that, Rich? I don't
0: understand. Yeah, people get people get cute with these. People get cute with Hall of Fame. We see it in the baseball Hall of Fame too, where people, are, oh, I'm not going to vote that guy in now because. Uh, he's not ready yet, or I gotta wait for this many years. And that's what that's why I've always said with a lot of Hall of Fames, I'd be fine if it was one and done. You get one time to vote, you get unlimited amounts of votes or whatever. Is that guy Hall of Fame or not? Whatever. You know, and then if later down the line people want to discuss them or new research comes out or something like that, or you want a little bit more time or whatever, but I think it, it's one of those things where if you know that this guy, if you if you're gonna vote for him, just vote for him. And I understand the problem is that you only have ten votes, and maybe you're like, Well, I want, you know, the guys in Mexico to get, you know, their love, and I want this guy to get love, and he can wait till next year. I get all that, and I think that's probably what plays into it is because there are those new rules and and people fall off the ballots and that sort of stuff so you do have to be a little bit more careful with how you use your 10 votes maybe you don't get that same idea because you're a very conservative voter you you use what four i think this year you used uh
1: i i don't think i've ever voted for more than four people
0: so you might maybe for you can't understand the perspective then because you are way more of a conservative voter and you only vote a few people but the people that do vote 10 people they might say well brian danielson i'm I'm not going to vote for him right now he's going to be on the ballot for the next 15 years I'm gonna work on some other guys first, guys oh, I, that I think I are deserving. I
1: understand that strategy. Yeah, because if you think that there's 16 people on the ballot who deserve a vote, you're gonna then vote for the 10 that are more likely to fall off the ballot. But the, the strategy I'm talking about is, and it's not even so much a strategy, more of a principle, mm-hmm. of of not voting for someone who's active. But in the case of Brian Danielson, he added zero. I mean, you know, he retired. And and didn't wrestle for the last year. Anyone who voted for him this year thought he was worthy last year. They just chose not to vote for him because his career wasn't.
0: Yeah, well, I kind of have this... uh, That's bullshit. Well, for some guys, I think... I mean, I guess the the key difference is, because there was a guy like Nakamura we talked about a few years ago where I did not vote for him because I I didn't feel like it was... I feel like he had so much more to add to his career. I mean, there was so much more.
1: If he would have retired, you wouldn't have voted for him this year either.
0: Right, exactly. These Whereas Danielson could have retired in, in 2014. Yeah, right.
1: So that—that's the difference. Like you—you—you you, you weren't a Nakamura voter, and neither was I. And if he—and he—if he, he, he would have retired, neither one of us would have voted for him this year, simply because he was retired. Now, we didn't vote for him because we don't think he did enough. Correct. But these people thought Daniel Bryan had enough on his resume. And the only reason they didn't vote for him is because he was still active. And they waited for him to retire to vote for him. I, that It's fucking retarded. I mean, I, you yeah, have your head up your ass if you vote like that. I don't understand that. I don't
0: but I think it's clear. I think it's clear, think think it's clear that's what happened. I mean, I I think. I mean, you look at the difference of, of of his votes. I mean, the guy, 26% new voters. He was 54% last year. He was 80% this year. It's a lot of people that said, yep, <laughs> I'm good now. Now that he's retired, I will definitely vote for him. And that's a huge jump, 26%. I,
1: that strategy makes no sense to me, but... Um, I only voted for three people this year out of the wrestlers. I voted for five non-wrestlers, which is okay. different. But I, I only voted for three people this year. Last year, I think I voted for four. And the year before, I voted for four. And that was, you know, so it's like I've never voted for more than four people. Um, I Full disclosure, I voted for, I'm not you know, my ballot's publicly posted on our forum, but I voted for Brian Danielson, I voted for June Akiyama, and I voted for Pedro Morales. That was it. So um, I, who'd you go with as far as wrestlers?
0: Uh, for me, I'm trying I'm blanking now. <laughs> it seems like so long ago that I did it. Uh, I did Brian Danielson, of course. I, think um, I can find it quickly
1: for you because I know you posted yours on the forum as
0: well. Yeah, right? I did Brian Danielson, Shima, Junakiyama. Uh did not do Mexico. did not do Europe. That might have been it for my wrestlers. Is that it for my wrestlers? I think it might be.
1: I got I got the ballots here. Give
0: me a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive it was just Danielson. <sighs> yeah, I think it was Danielson, Shima, Junakiyama. I think was all I had for wrestlers. Who else did I have for wrestlers? I think that's it. Yeah, I'm almost positive. You so had, okay, so here's
1: your ballot. You had Brian yeah. Danielson, Junakiyama, and Shima. That was it.
0: Okay, yeah, so vote, that was it. Yeah. And
1: you voted for uh, four non-wrestlers. So you voted for Shima. I voted for Pedro Morales. Now, um, okay, so Shima, let's transition to that because I thought yeah. he did shocking. He he took a big jump this year. 17%, up
0: a 17, up from 23% in 2015 to, uh, to 40% in 2016. And real quick, before we kind of get too deep into this, People that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And I do know we have a lot of listeners that probably are listening and going, I don't know what the hell that thing is. Just to get an idea, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, obviously put on by the Wrestling Observer. Uh, To get into the Hall of Fame, you need 6% of the vote uh, from various geographical regions. So when we say Japan and, and U.S., these people are in different regions. And you vote, you know, depending on that region as well. So you can vote in whatever region you want. Joe and I tend to kind of stick with what we know a little bit. We don't get into Mexico all that much. We don't get into historical. We don't get into Europe. But when you hear us talk about that, that's what that is. Uh, if a wrestler fails to get elected 15 years after being put on the ballot, uh, they must garner 50% of the votes or they're, re- they're removed from the ballot. Uh, and then a person who gets less than 10% of the vote in any given year is eliminated from the ballot. Um, and the wrestler is eligible on the ballot 15 years after the start of their major league career or turns 35 and has been an active pro wrestler for at least 10 years. So that's just to get you an idea of what it is. It's done by the Wrestling Observer, and if you go to uh, F4WOnline.com, you can get some more details on that as well. And I'm sure on, it's on Wikipedia as well. So if you want to kind of read from there, so just to get an idea, if you have no idea what we're talking about, no idea what criteria, because we get some, we always get, when we say hall of fame, some people think we talk like WWE hall of fame. No, it's wrestling observer hall of fame. And that's the criteria. Okay. Shima. Sorry.
1: Jeez. Did you take a breath during that? Uh,
0: I did not No, I just wanted to get through it. I just wanted to get through it. Cause I know we do have people. I mean, every time we, I know it from every time we tweet, and we go, like, oh, is X underrated? And everyone's like, no, and, like, nobody knows what anything is, because we assume that everybody that listens to this is a Wrestling Observer subscriber and, like, deep into it, when they're really not. So I just thought I'd I'd, I'd clarify that real quick. So, okay, continue.
1: Anyway, Shima's total makes him a real player, I think, moving forward. Um, and as does Hayabusa, who debuted on the ballot this year and got a shocking total, in my opinion. I, yeah, 49% I, for Hayabusa. I mean, he's he's at almost 50%. Rich, he's getting in. I mean, he's he's probably going to get in. If well, I thought it was having- really
0: interesting uh, about Hayabusa as well As you look at his rankings of, of of the people that voted for him. Former wrestlers, he was third amongst former wrestlers for votes. Is incredible. And then against active wrestlers, he was tenth. So he's a. He, and you know what? I, that doesn't surprise
1: me because no, not at all. He was a very influential. Like his whole case is practically his entire case is influence. I mean, he influenced the whole generation of flyers. People love that guy, uh, and I'm talking wrestlers you know, fans too. I mean, he, he, always made, we talked when he died on this show, he made a connection with a whole generation of fans who went when they, they first saw him on tape. There was just a certain charisma to that guy. Um, I don't think he's a hall of fame level worker. I don't think he's a hall of fame level draw. Um, and I looked closely at, at all of his credentials. There was a good back and forth, positive and negative on him on our board. And I decided not to vote for him. Um, he could be someone I would vote for in the future. I would, I'm leaning. No, um, I, but, again, I'm very conservative, but I think starting off at 49%, I mean, I think that sounds like a guy who's on his way in. I was shocked. I thought he'd be one of those dudes that hovered around 20% for 15 years and then fell off the ballot. But uh, it looks like he's got a legitimate shot. Pedro Morales coming back on the ballot ended up with a big total, too. I think he almost got in. Didn't he have over? Yeah, he,
0: uh, so, he, so here's kind of the, the path of Pedro Morales. Uh, 2010 he had 21 percent then he jumped up a little bit in 2011 to 34 then he went right back in 2012 and 2013 right around 20 percent uh 2014 at 33 then he was taken off the ballot um in 2015 and he comes back on the ballot in 2016 54 percent huge jump for Pedro morales so that's uh that's interesting i mean that's a guy who who's right on the doorstep of of getting in there so
1: i was a i was a morales voter before and i'm still a morales voter i think that his drawing record in MSG is, is very good and is Hall of Fame worthy. And then you look also, um, you know, he didn't draw everywhere, but, you know, in, you know, in LA and things like that, um, he did well enough to supplement what he did in MSG. And, I, you know, I, I see him as one of the biggest stars of his era, and that's why I vote for him. And at 54%, again, this looks like a guy who's, who's, who's on his way in. I mean, and that's, you know, and this is a guy who had fallen off. So enough people asked to have him back. And then he got votes on top of that. So, you know, Shima, Hayabusa, and Pedro Morales, those three really surprised me in terms of of, of, uh, of their vote totals. And really, if you look at the rest of it, Rich, there really wasn't much movement. A lot of the people had very similar totals, like within 1% or 2% that they had the year before. I mean, most of the right. ballot didn't move very much at all.
0: It was very stable for the most part. I mean, uh, here's kind of the big jump, uh, the big movers and fallers for each uh, – uh, U.S. and Canada. Uh, you have Brian Danielson of course, moving up 26% to get in. Uh, Sting moving up 15% to get in. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter got a f- uh, 14% raise, but he's still at 37%, so he's still uh, pretty far away. And then, like, your worst in the U.S. and Canada was Edge, but he was, like, minus 4%, you know, from 44 to 40, and that's so not a big difference at all there. I mean, and then uh, Japan, you got Shima, who went up 17%, uh, Junakiyama, who went up 12%, and then in Japan, really, nobody else moved all that much. Mike and Ben Sharp lost 4, and Eugene Nagata lost 2, and that's it. Like, everybody else is pretty much stable where they were before. Uh Mexico is it just kind of ends up <laughs> always being just the toughest bracket You have cars at 58% like right almost there but can't make it. it. 103 at 56% right there can't get it. Uh you got the uh the, what is it the uh the the Missionaries of Death or whatever they're uh they dropped 9%. Uh they're at 47% so they dropped a little bit. And then Blue Panther uh he went up 10% to 50 uh, total and then Laparka, Ellie LA Park, uh, he's at thirty nine percent, ten percent jump uh, for him. So interesting there. Um, as far as Europe, you, you know, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands, Africa, whatever. Uh, well, some big, interesting big movement daddy, there. Oh yeah, big big daddy, go ahead. Daddy,
1: yeah, Big Daddy's the story there as it always is. No, four
0: percent up by four percent
1: to what? Forty
0: five to forty five percent.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, he I, look. I don't comment on it because I don't know enough about it. So. The thing that strikes me about him, though, and Dave always makes this point point, no one ever listens, his own, his own people from his own region do not vote for him. And what was odd this year is that it was all American reporters.
0: American reporters are the only people who, who voted for him. for him.
1: I mean, that yeah. just tells me that he's not a real Hall of Famer because if the people in his own region, if his own peers, if the people who wrestled against him, if the people who you know, booked him. If the people who reported on him aren't voting for him. Yeah, grew up him. watching
0: him. Yeah, I mean, people yeah, that, you I know, mean, they're, grew up and idolized him culture. or whatever. The yeah. people
1: in the culture are not voting for him. It's these Americans who've been, con- who, who I guess envision him as as this big cultural star, but the people in his own country uh, who are voting do not, pic- do not picture him as this cultural star. Does that mean that those people are wrong? Maybe they are. I don't know. It, what it tells me is the people in his own culture don't view him as a Hall of Famer.
0: That, so. Yeah, that, that's pretty damning to me, and I read that again, and, and again, Dave always brings it up, but that that's that's really damning, especially this year when it's so much of American reporters <laughs> voting him, and then like, as you said, I mean, it's just, it, that's damning right there, I'm not going to vote in it, I don't have a big opinion, because I don't know, I'm not in that culture, but when the people in the culture are not voting for you
2: that's you know, a hard strike I don't know. for me. It really When that you're
0: is, when your your cell is he's a cultural icon, you know what I mean? Like it's hard like, you... oh no, everybody grew up on him, oh he's an icon or whatever, but none of them vote for yeah, him. Yeah, people don't like...
1: his people in his region aren't seeing it that way. I would almost be more sympathetic if it was the other way around. If everyone in Europe was voting for this guy. Right, but us
0: stupid Americans aren't voting for him because we yeah, just don't and, get it, then yeah. And then because then we're it's... voting
1: for Mark Rocco instead and dragging Big Daddy's percentage down. Then I would say, you know what? Maybe the American reporters need to stay out of this because they don't know what they're talking about. But it's it's the other way around. The people in his own culture <laughs> are not voting for this guy. So I yeah. I don't know. I I did, you know? But um the other who was the other? Uh... Oh yeah. So Sin Cara slash Caristico um, was the other big debut, and you said he came in at fifty eight. So he nearly got in on the first shot. Now he's a good. Oh sorry. Kid. He was
0: he was thirty percent. That was Sin Caris, had um. Oh, Sincaris, 50- I misunderstood. Sincaris, yeah, sorry. Uh Caristico has thirty percent. Thirty,
1: which is a you know, that I thought he would do better than thirty. I mean, you know, that's 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 no, a poor Awesome five
0: year run. I mean, a lot of guys have five year runs and that's enough for him, but not for <laughs> not for Mystico, apparently.
1: I mean I mean there's no question that the bad WWE run is hurting him with, Oh, hundred percent, yeah. With American voters who do not follow Lucha Libre closely. And they probably can't get that look, this is a prime reason why I stay out of that region. It's you know, it's none of my business, man, because I don't study Lucha Libre. I keep one eye on it. I am by, I'm not even close to a Lucha Libre expert, so I'm not getting involved, you know. But it's and I'm not saying he deserves to be I don't know that he does. I don't know if his run was long enough. But that's not for me, you know. There's people who are much smarter about it who should be deciding that, not Joe.
0: Uh, non-wrestlers, some movement here, and then we'll talk about guys that fell off the ballot and guys that are coming on the ballot as well, and then we'll maybe get deeper about a few guys. Uh, Jimmy Hart moved up 10%, uh, from 36 to 46%, still kind of a travesty that he's not in there. I voted for him, and I believe you did as well, as we have for every time we've had a ballot uh, forever. Gene Oakland, my guy, moves up 9%, 67%, and Gene is in. Yeah. your thoughts on Mean Gene getting in, I've finally. O- I've always been a
1: Mean Gene voter, so I'm happy to see him get in. I voted for Dave. I've- no, that's you. That's not... That's not Joel. Yeah, I voted for uh, Jim Crockett, uh, Senior, Jimmy Hart, Jerry Jarrett, Gene Okerlund, and Don Owen. Um, and you voted for Okerlund as well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Okerlund and Jimmy Hart, I believe. Um, and then Finkel, Clark. and then Finkel as well.
2: And Jim Crockett, team Finkel.
0: Okay, yes. Well, apparently you and I are the only people that voted Jim Crockett, Senior, because he dropped 16%, Joe. Out of nowhere, that damn Jim Crockett, Senior, goes from 57% in 2015. Looks like him right on the doorstep. Then he drops to forty one percent. I don't know what happened to Jim Crockett Senior, but
1: I don't know. I don't, what do you do? What do you do this past year? It's actually the what? first time I ever voted for him, so I don't feel super strong about him. Um, well, you
0: must have caused everybody else to, to to go away. I mean, as as people want to do, they they when you say you like something, everybody says they have to hate it. So you
1: know, not not untrue. But
0: uh, <laughs> that must have been the Jim Crockett thing because everybody just got off the Jim Crockett bandwagon. Maybe everybody just thought they would rally one year and then if he didn't get in, it was they were done with it. I don't know. That's just an odd drop for him.
1: But Oakland's in. Ockerman deserves it. You know, I, I I feel very strongly about Jimmy Hart. I think that's a shame that uh, he's really not even close. But um, I guess he's inching a little closer. But it's not like he's knocking on the door. But I think Larry
0: Madisick. Larry Madisick up three percent, Joe. Twenty nine. Well,
1: you know, I I, I that one I don't get. I don't even know why. He's on the, I genuinely don't know why he's on the. But look, th- then, but here's the thing: if twenty nine percent of the voters are voting for him, then then I, yeah, what do we know? Yeah, I mean. The the only other thing before we get to who's being added next year is um somehow China got ten percent and is staying on the ballot.
0: Yeah, if anybody here, if you voted for China, come come at us. We need to. I'd talk love
1: to, you. to know why. I mean, I'm definitely gonna rip you. So be prepared because I think she's the weakest candidate on the ballot, and it's not even close. I think she's the weakest candidate I've ever seen on the ballot. Um, I I don't see a China argument in any way, shape, or form as as a wrestling observer. Whole thing there. I, I genuinely believe there's never been a weaker candidate on the ballot and I have no clue what temper I rich I thought she was gonna get I thought she was gonna pull the AJ Styles and get zero votes I really thought she wasn't gonna get a single vote and she's staying on the ballot I mean this is wild to me I don't I don't I don't see the argument at all what do they think um, do you think their angle is here because I't
0: I guess there's, if you want to make some, like, really long stretch, like, influence argument with her that she was influential, but, like, she really wasn't. Like, well, go look. Though. Like, right. Like, go watch it. It's it's not influential. It's bad. It's really, like, she was uh, a pretty decent part of the biggest time in WWE, but, like, the way that they angled her is not good. Like, it's not influential at all. Like, it, it's I don't think she it's in no way. Either. I mean, they they basically made fun of the fact that she looked like a man, yeah. and then she got boobs, and they made fun of the fact that she got boobs and still looked like a man, and then she got a, 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 a facelift, and they made fun of the fact that she needed a facelift, and then they just kind of, that was it for her. You know what I mean? Like, that's her run. It's, There's a
1: lot of revisionist history with China. She, she wasn't. Was,
0: like, yeah, go she, back and watch it. It's, she, it's, it's, you, it's you startling. the
1: network. She was a running joke. They treated her like she was a monster. They... She sold nutshots, Rich. I mean, one of the key spots in, in her matches was selling, getting hit in the balls. They implied that she had, had a dick because she was a large woman.
0: And they call her the Amazon. We were watching, me and my buddy were watching uh, one of the 97 Raws, like, leading up to WrestleMania 13. And they're, oh, who's this Amazon woman? Or oh, look at her. And then, like, Jerla at one point goes, well, how do we even know she's a woman? And I was just like, oh, God. Could like, you this? imagine? And that's it. 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 That's what it is. That's the China thing. That's, that's, so.
1: that's what she was. That would never fly today. I mean, I don't think people either don't remember or they just don't know. And they assume it's like if if there was a spot in every Nia Jax match where she got hit in the crotch and sold it like she had a dick. <laughs>
0: right.
1: it, you, could you you know, it, it would never be it would never fly today. But that's what yeah, and, and was. they'd be. They'd
0: be discussing on the commentary table if she is even a woman or if she's a right, man. Exactly. It's very hard to tell. They would go, oh, how do you know? How do can you tell?
1: Like, that's that's what China was. I mean, the, yeah, the, it, she was a running joke. She was a muscular woman who wasn't very pretty, so the running joke was she must be a man. I mean, I at least that's how I remember it. And that's, so if
0: that's influential, then go for it. Yeah, but, uh, I, mean, you know, I don't it, think so. I yeah. thought
1: it, it wasn't it was regressive if anything. I mean it set women back in my because then you had other companies looking then you had your Nicole Bass. Asia. Remember Asia, Asia in WCW? Yes, yeah. and it's like it this led to a bunch of China. <laughs> Bigger than China, non-muffs. by the way. Which were just fucking, you know, just as, as cringe as the China, you know, it's like, so I, you know, there is no, there is no positive influence. There is no historical influence in a positive manner, which is what it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. And people can maybe use like in 99, she kind of, then she started winning the intercontinental title and they kind of used her in that sense. And I guess if you want to use that, but we're really talking about a few months here. And we're talking about if Jeff Jarrett wasn't walking out of the company, like she's probably not going to give her the title, and it's probably you know what I mean. Like it's really like even if you want to just snap everything off and go, okay, well, you're talking about like four months in like 1999 that she was a big deal, you know, like that's that's what you're using. And,
1: and, and hardly a Hall of Fame level big deal,
0: right? She had I mean, horrendous matches with Chris Jericho, team. and he almost was wondering why the hell he came to this company because he got slotted with her and they had horrendous matches with her. So yeah,
1: I mean, you know, she she doesn't even belong in the ballot. It's I I that's I'd, pretty bad. I'd love to speak to a china voter and see what's going through their head uh so additions next year i think there's some very interesting addition additions next year and some
0: people do you want to talk about who's off the ballot real oh, quick yeah yeah, who fell off yeah yeah let's do that so let's do the less than 10 percent of the votes so they're they're they, they got less than 10 from the region so they're dropped off next year's ballot i got Bruce bernard and skull murphy uh dominic Danucci, kinja shibuya ron white uh george gordinko finally <laughs> he seemed like he was there forever uh kimura Fishman and Mario Milano, they are dropped. Now dropped from next year's ballot due to the 15 and 50 rule. So if after 15 years, you don't at least get 50%. Yeah, the men,
1: the men Rich just named all got less than 10%.
0: Right, right. So those guys were less than 10%. They're gone. These guys got decent amounts, but they did not pass the 15, 50% threshold, which you can look up to get the ideas, of kind of the intricacies of that. It's not too complicated. If a guy's on the ballot for 15 years and he doesn't get 50% of the vote, he's done. And that was Seiki Sakaguchi and Volkan. So Volkan drops off the ballot.
1: Yeah, I was surprised that Volkan's total went down. Um, obviously, I'm not a Volkan voter or supporter. I think his career was far too short. I don't think it was a Hall of Fame-level career at all. But he did have ardent supporters, and I thought they would rally around him, being that this was his last chance. It did not happen. Um, he actually went down, which was surprising to me. So... Uh...
0: Yeah, because he was fifty two percent last year and fifty one percent the year before that, and was uh, we don't have the number in front of us, but uh, it was under fifty percent for him. Yeah, he was really uh, this year. On so we're here, and um,
1: you know, but that's it for him. He's history. Uh, so being added to the ballot this year, there's a few. There's at least one person here that I'm voting for a hundred percent. I don't know where you stand, but I guess we can break them down. Let's do it. Interesting additions. Who are they?
0: Uh, we have AJ Styles, Sputnik Monroe, Trish Stratus. Kota Ibushi, Bill Goldberg, Rick Martel, and then Tolly Blanchard and Arn Anderson.
1: With J.J. Dillon.
0: Oh, with J- oh, so you kind of count all three of them then. Yeah, okay.
1: they're, they're, in there, they're on there as a package. Now, first thing I want to say is I don't think Trish Stratus is a Hall of Famer or even close, and I think she's a, a tenfold a better candidate than China. I mean, yes. I, and I don't even think, and believe me, if you vote for Trish Stratus, I'd like your head checked. <laughs> but I still think she's an enormously better. I would listen than China. to
0: your Trish Stratus argument before I would listen to your China argument ever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: you can you can do some influence with Trish if you really want. Well, the thing but... with
1: Trish is at least she she was a good worker.
0: Yeah, she she got you know she's she's a great example of they they got a model and she just decided I'm gonna be great at this and by the time she was done she was awesome at it.
1: You can make the argument China drew more money, but do we know that China drew any money? I mean, she was with DX and they were obviously very yeah, popular. I don't really popular, know if... but it, but. Okay, let's revert back. To, when did she show up? 1998?
0: Uh, 97.
1: If she breaks her leg and retires from wrestling, does it make a fucking difference in the grand scheme of things? Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I think I think DX would be fine with that. I think the Attitude
1: it, so. Era would have survived without China. I really think it would.
0: Ooh, I don't right? know. <laughs> so,
1: I, you know, but you can make the argument that she drew more money than Trish Stratus, but, I mean, I think Trish Stratus was world's better of a worker, but not even close yeah. to Hall of Fame level. I, I mean, I can't even... I'd be... Look... I'd be shocked if Trish Stratus stays on the ballot, but I said the same thing about China. Um, so who knows?
0: Okay, so those guys, uh, you said there was one person of that that you were definitely going to vote for. Who I'm, is
1: it? I'm voting for AJ Styles. And I mean, to me, um, it's like when I look at AJ Styles and what he's done in you know, New Japan and WWE since leaving TNA, it's like now he's been in three major companies... And has been arguably the best worker in all of them. At least you can make a case in all three situations. The guy is one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, and it's it's very similar to my Brian Danielson argument. Um, in that, that's enough for me. Brian Danielson main eventing the WrestleMania, and and you know uh, being the most popular wrestler in the company for that short period of time, whatever it was, was just icing on the cake for me. AJ Styles, I truly believe, is one of the greatest wrestlers to ever step into a ring, and that's what the Hall of Fame is. The Hall of Fame is about the the greatest, the greatest wrestlers of all time. And um, you know, I would never—I'm going to use this argument again in this comparison. And I I would—if there was a draw at the level of AJ Styles, you know, work, no one would be arguing about it because it, it, it was one of the best draws. If someone was one of the best draws of all time, we'd all vote for him. So why are we not voting for one of the greatest workers of all time? And that's what he is. And he's he's continuing to prove it. And he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I am without question voting for AJ Styles next year.
0: Yeah, I'm right with you as well. And it's, we bring it up all the time. It's, it's what I brought up with Brian Danielson as well. You can add to the, oh, okay, he did the main event of WrestleMania. He did this. He he drew this. He did, you know, okay, that's great. That's just icing on the cake for me. That's just a cherry on top, like you said. I look at it from a work standpoint. And if the guy is so spectacular in one of those things, they deserve to get in. I think AJ Styles absolutely is. And he, he only, if you really appreciate his TNA run and really go back and watch a lot of those TNA runs, which I have started to do. Um, ever since he emerged kind of in New Japan and ever since he emerged again in WWE, I, I started going back and going, okay, I, I missed a lot of this TNA run, and, and Garrett Kinney, to his credit, uh, writer of our website, great, fantastic writer as well, fantastic TNA uh, impact reviewer and fantastic just TNA historian um, as well, did an article uh, about a year or so ago about every one of these, here's the great AJ Styles matches, here are the definitive... AJ Styles TNA matches and I went back and watched a lot of them and to his credit he had me going okay this guy is uh, like I can because it was TNA and a lot of times I would just go no I'm not watching it I did not watch the pay-per-views I would watch some of the TVs but I wasn't really watching that much I would watch when somebody hyped up a match or whatever I would do that but it seemed like nobody was really hyping up AJ Styles matches at the time and I go back and now I watch these and it's these like mundane random whatever hardcore justices bound for glory doesn't matter what the hell the show is that guy is always bringing his A-game. And you see these matches and you go, oh my God, this guy's been great for so, so long when we just really ignored him. And I really, you know, to my... Uh, kind of a disgrace or whatever is I ignored him after he left ring of honor I said okay I love the ring of honor AJ Styles you know I know he's in TNA but I just don't like TNA and and after he had you know there were spectacular matches of course that he had in the early parts of TNA but once TNA got into the too much of the Hogan's and that sort of stuff I really stopped watching it all but he still was having spectacular matches that he was it, it didn't matter if Rob Van Dam was against him or if Sting was against him or whatever or, uh, Bobby Root. it didn't matter he was still having incredible matches in that era of TNA as well and that's you know, it's my fault. I didn't watch it, and I didn't follow it. And I think people, if you're, if you're, now that you know he's on the ballot, go back and watch those. Go look for that Garrett Kidney piece, and go watch those. And you will see that this guy is a spectacular worker. Add in his Ring of Honor run, which is a really underrated run as well, because I think it was kind of the early days of Ring of Honor. And uh, it got overshadowed again by Brian Daneson coming in a few more years and, and a lot more talent, kind of, I think, in my mind, getting into the roster, you know, by 2005, 2006, or whatever. But what AJ Styles did in those early days is spectacular as well. I mean, he's a w- way better worker now. Way more refined now, but he still had a very good run there in, in Ring of Honor, of course. And then you add his New Japan run, which again is like, you know, we, we you almost don't need to even add that New Japan run. And he's almost a a, a shoe in. Then you add what he did in New Japan, where it's just, you know, the match against Suzuki, the stuff against, you know, Kota Bushi, the stuff against Okada, the the, the the Wrestle Kingdom match with Nakamura. I mean, you look at that stuff and you go, God damn it, he's got that too. Like, it, it's, it's, Andy, it's crazy. And he
1: drew money in New Japan
0: right exactly and then if, uh, i was about to go and if you want to say that okay i need that i need something more i need more than entering work well new japan he was absolutely a big part of their drawing so there you go if you want that you got that you don't really need that with him i think i think you have so much here and you see him coming to WWE, and you just see him become a star immediately and it's like man this guy just toiled away in tna for so long WWE finally gets him an offer that's actually decent money and he just kills it he actually kills it this year He's in all the main events, he's doing big-time stuff, and he's having great matches as well. So yeah, like for me, he's a shoe-in in-ring alone, and if you want to use the other arguments, like influence, I don't know that he has any historical influence or significance or anything like that. I don't know if he does necessarily. That's something that we kind of see later on down the line, maybe. But I don't think you need that with him. I think you have a little bit of drawing in New Japan, and I guess you can kind of attribute a lot of this WWE stuff to him uh, as well. You can kind of give him a, a few little nuggets here for what he's doing in WWE. But other than that, like there you go. I mean, the in-ring work alone... He's in for me, and I think hey, you're look, voting for him I, exactly the same as well.
1: I vote on the criteria that I'm asked to vote on. Right. And the criteria says that there's three areas. It's your work, it's your drawing ability, and it's your historical influence in a positive manner. And you don't have to have all three. If you're overwhelming in one or two, this is exactly what it says on the ballot when we get it, then that, then they should be voted for. AJ Styles is overwhelmingly a Hall of Famer in in, in, in the work part of the criteria. So I vote the way that I'm asked to vote. To me, sure. it's a no-brainer Hall of Famer in terms of work. And I hate the argument of, well, you know, work is subjective. So you shouldn't vote for people based on their... Well, first of all, the ballot says I should vote for people because of their work. So don't tell me that I shouldn't vote for people based on their work. The, the ballot says to do that. And yes, I agree that it's subjective. But here's the thing. If 60% of the people agree with me, isn't that consensus at that point? So this argument... That work is subjective, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't, you know, shouldn't, you know factor in, uh, you know, when you're voting for the Hall of Fame because. So weird. But but that's the thing. If someone gets sixty percent purely based on work, that means that if someone gets right, 60 if
0: or 80% if you, or 80% you and I are the only people that like you know, you know X or whatever, then, he's never then get okay, then it doesn't matter. Right. Then it, then <laughs> but if sixty percent of people vote X because he was a great worker, then, then I don't know. Or...
1: Six, then Consensus wins, baby. That's how it
0: works. <laughs> right. That's
1: how voting works. Maybe you know we're confused because our election was a disaster, but that's how voting works. What do you mean? What
0: are you talking about? No, okay, that's how voting works.
1: There, you know, there's there's consensus there. If 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 he gets to sixty and it's all based on then sixty percent of the voters think that you're a hall of fame worker, then you belong in for your work. Why do people argue about this? You know, and the fact of the matter is, drawing is 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 subjective too because you can you can manipulate numbers any way you want. Okay, what is objective about the drawing component of? I mean, people argue about that all the time, too. So I, I'm, I'm kind of sick of that argument. I'm sick of people saying, "I ah, you know, you don't have to draw money to get in the Hall of Fame anymore. Here's the thing. You never had to draw money to get in the Hall of Fame. Because the criteria says if you're overwhelming in one category that you should vote for them. So if you're overwhelming in work and never drew a dime, you could be a Hall of Famer. There's right. nothing in the criteria that says you can't be. Which is why I vote for people like AJ Styles and Brian, who, by the way, both of whom drew money. I don't know if they drew money at a Hall of Fame level. That's a different argument. To me, it's irrelevant because to me, their work is, you know, overwhelmingly Hall of Fame.
0: Level. Right. The only thing that, that I would really factor with those sort of guys if I was really looking to do that is like if they were on top and the business just absolutely plummeted and everybody hated them and nobody watched them. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it have to be someone like that. It would have to be overwhelmingly negative on that side. But it's not with those guys. I mean, it's not like no, everybody in, turned off their TVs uh, and never watched history. it again. You there were know. points
1: in history where they clearly helped business. Right. You know, you look so. at the AJ Styles main events in New Japan last year. He was an enormous draw in New Japan last year, you know, and everybody knows the Brian Danielson story. So yeah, I'm voting for him. I guess you're voting for him too. Yeah, um, I am. But there's some other more controversial ones here, I think, like Kota Ibushi.
0: Oh, I was gonna. I thought you were going with Sputnik Monroe. Well, Sputnik
1: Monroe has, you know, his whole deal is. I know nothing of Sputnik Monroe. Well, I'm so gonna tell to, you, uh, this is interesting. In, yeah. He's he's a rare candidate who's almost entirely an influence candidate. You don't see a lot of influence candidates, right? You know, very rare that you see that's the portion where they're the strongest because he's the one who, depending on which version of the story you want to believe, sort of broke the the segregation in Memphis uh, by you know where the where the black fans weren't allowed to buy the same tickets as the white fans and he stood up for the black fan. Now there's there's uh, there's now I'm not well versed enough to really break it down because uh, I'm not a big Memphis historian, but there is. The counter argument that some of that was overblown and some of that was just, you know, him doing a gimmick. and Look, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i staying out of it. I'm not going to vote for him. He's in the he'll probably be in a historical bucket. I don't really vote for that bucket anyway. But he's a almost a 100 percent influence candidate based on helping breaking segregation in Memphis. So that's his story.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to read a little bit about him. And yeah, I, I <laughs> there's some interesting parts there where it's a little he was, he was a heel. He was a heel in Memphis when he was doing that
1: right so the argument is kind of (laughs) was he was he supporting the african-american fans to get heat
0: right right and and if that's
1: the case then that's just fucking dirty whether it ended up ending but but here's the thing we are the last people who should be talking about this yeah i don't know anything about everything (laughs) you know about him. you just read in the last 30 seconds right i know and i only know the story on the surface but I do think he's someone worthy of being on the ballot and disgust because I think that's, a, you know, that that that's definitely worthy of discussion.
0: Sure. That's cool. I mean, he's a guy that I never heard of before. And that's that's the, the the value of the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame is there's a guy that now I can I can read about and research. And now I did a Google search and there's plenty of stuff about him. So I'm going to check it out uh, for sure. Trish status We talked a little bit about her. I will not be voting for her. And I don't think she's going to I it's, it's, she's going to fall off the ballot. Right. Immediately.
1: I listen. I don't know. You never know. I, but with the China thing, I don't know. But um.
0: Yeah, she got, China got 10%. I so.
1: have a feeling, though, that yeah. a lot of China's votes were based on people thinking that she was this... Um, that she sort of uh, broke barriers and things of that nature like we alluded to earlier. And I don't think Trish is going to get that kind of support, so she probably will fall off.
0: Uh, Kotobushi.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people fired up that he's on the ballot. And he's someone who's certainly still in the middle of his career I would peg him as just sort of starting the downside of his prime. Is that fair?
0: Um, The problem with Kotobushi is I don't know. Like, I don't know what the next step of Kotobushi is because the guy could, you know, come back in New Japan and, and, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom and just kill it the whole year. You know what I mean? Like, you just – I have no clue about him. Yeah, probably he's in the downside of his career, but I, you I never see, know with this I, guy. Like, I think he's
1: just – like, if you're looking at a graph, right? Like, you, I think he's just starting – the descent on his on but, but still in his prime does that but make sense but what if
0: he even re himself? yeah no i agree but what if like th- th- he comes back rejuvenated like i don't know it's I'm so hard to get a read right. on he's him a guy... like i have no fucking clue about kodobushi so here's Bushi. the thing about kodobushi in okay. 2 years he would become the biggest star in re- in japanese wrestling absolutely. like he, he could absolutely just walk if he wanted to if he decides tomorrow you know what i'm going to do i'm going to become the biggest star in japanese wrestling over the next 2 years he could do it but i don't know that he's going to so it's like i have no clue i i i have no read on kodobushi
1: he can walk into new japan tomorrow start a feud with Kenny Omega, and they can light business on fire. And- <laughs> That's yeah. what I mean. Like yeah. That could that could happen. It's conceivable. They could headline the Dome next year and draw 40,000 fans. I, I, th- those things are, are not out of the realm of possibility. Would I vote for Kota Ibushi right this second? No, I will not vote for Kota Abushi. I think he's a great worker. I think he's drawn more money than people think. I think people has, are going to yes. give him the short end of the stick in terms of how much money he's drawn. I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame level draw. Probably not. But you go back and look up, you know, those Peter Pan show histories where whether he was in the main event or he was wink, wink, not in the main event, but he was clearly the, the, the draw. You know, if they had a weaker main event in place, but he was, you know, either in the semi or, or what. Listen, those shows drew and they drew because of Kodo. But he, he was a he was a draw. OK, so was Omega and DDT. OK, but it, but so he'll get the short end. Of the st- and he drew in New Japan. He drew big in New Japan. His New Japan main events almost across the board. He didn't have a ton of them. He only had three or four, but they all drew big, and they were and they put him in big in, in big buildings too. They didn't main event him in, you know, he main evented mainline shows, Invasion Attack, okay, Sumo Hall, and he drew. So he'll get the short end of the stick on that, but he was a draw. But I, I'm not going to vote for him. He's still in his prime, and there's and you're right, there's still a lot that this guy can do. And, you know, for the same reasons, I didn't vote for Shinsuke Nakamura. I mean, I I didn't vote for him either because these guys are still in the middle of their primes. I mean, this is one flaw where they do, you know, Dave does put these guys on too soon sometimes. I think it's the 35 year old thing is just. We talk about it all the time. You're just hitting your prime sometimes when you're turning.
0: 30. Yeah, man, you make it 38 or something. You know what I mean? Like, cause that 35 to 38 can be big for guys. That's that can when be most really big. guys peak, to be honest. Right, make it 40. You know, make it, f- make 40, it for 40 is a pretty 40, good spot. At 40, you're pretty well done. I don't know that that many people are really going to build a resume after 40. I mean, yeah, there are a few, of course. I mean, there are, there are exceptions to that, but I think for the most part, 40 is a pretty good way to to, to do it. Because 35 is just not. 35. Not, I mean, you're still not these 35, days, especially. You know? And yeah. it's like by the time
1: you're 40, you might be tacking on to your resume, but you're not building.
0: Right, right. Uh, Bill Goldberg.
1: Hey, listen.
0: That I, dude's going to do really well. He's, he's going to shock really people. He's really well, yeah.
1: and for me, it's a to-be-determined, man. I want to see how the Rumble and Mania do, and he's a guy that I can't say that I definitively will not vote for. I mean, if he... If, if, just,
0: if it's she, amazing. I mean, because imagine, like, in, in July, if I said, hey, Bill Goldberg might be on the Hall of Fame next year, and you would go,
1: ah, fuck you. Go no, I, I mean, like, you I'd say I mean? no, because his yeah. run was too short. You know? Right, exactly. Like, like, but... This is a guy, interesting. Sputnik Monroe, Power, yes. Sputnik, we've run the gamut here, Rich, because AJ Styles is a work-rate candidate, Sputnik Monroe is an influence candidate, Bill Goldberg is a 100% drawing money candidate. I mean, yep. they, they, there's nothing else. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, it wasn't long enough in WCW, but he's definitely... Survivor Series was a was a lot of positive momentum for him. It's possible that he sparks things in this company, and if he does, I think he he's earned much more of a conversation than he would have previously because the other run was just too short for for me anyway.
0: Rick Martel, interesting candidate here because I've always liked Rick Martel, but I Hall of Very Good or Hall of Good, I would say for him. I I, I can't vote him for the Hall of Fame though.
1: Great worker for the standards of his era. Um, oh, that's gonna annoy people. Um.
0: now you've done it <laughs> he was
1: a he was a big star I mean I, I need to look at his drawing record closer I'm not an expert on the drawing record of Rick Martel. I have a good idea of his career I think what's going to hurt Martell is the same thing that hurt him the first time is a lot of voters between the ages of I don't know let's say 30 and 40 um, are only going to have memories of his Rick the model Martell run where he very clearly was a solid hand to have on the roster but was not you didn't look at that guy and say that's a Hall of Famer. You know what I right. mean? Um, and I kind of think that's what – that's the argument that a lot of people make. That's what hurt Ken Patera too, his post-prison run where a lot of voters who are now in their late 30s, early 40s, they – you know if they're below 45, they don't remember the pre-prison Patera who was a legitimate big-time star. They only remember post-prison Patera who was a shitty worker and a lower mid-carder. Same thing with Martel. I, you know, I don't. He was a solid guy in those in the late '80s and WW in the early '90s, but that's not where his resume was built. His resume was built before that. So I'd have to take a closer look. He's not a guy I'll completely write off, but I, I probably will not vote for him.
0: Yeah, I I, I won't vote for him either. But um, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson with J.J. Jill And This is a very weird one here because. A lot like Kojima and Tenzan in the J- Japan region right now. Those guys are together and linked. And I, I, we've always said that we think that they might have stronger cases uh, separated. Uh, Tully Blanchard, I probably would. But Arn Anderson, if he was by himself, I would probably vote for him. But I'm not going to vote for him as Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. I don't know. That's I, I, don't, why do we, I don't understand the point of doing that with those well, two.
1: Well, I'm going to go back and look and see. Just going off of my memory and what I think that I know, I don't think that that tag team was a big-time main event tag team all over the Crockett territory. I We know they weren't in WWE. Okay, they were a mid-card act in WWF, and they didn't even have Dylan with them. Um, but in Crockett, I'll have to go back and look. I think they'd have a better shot on the ballot if the Four Horsemen were on the ballot. The original Correct. Four Horsemen. Yeah, right. Two Andersons, J.J. J. Dillon, Ric Flair, and uh, Tully Blanchard. But Dave has this weird thing where you can't go in twice. Flair's already in. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't. I don't. This is a weird one to me. On the surface, I I don't think I would vote for them. They weren't even a tag team for that long of a period of time. Honestly,
0: that's the thing mean, too. Yeah, when you really look at it, it wasn't like the totally run was not long. I mean, it was. I think they started up in eighty five ish, eighty six maybe, and then they were done by eighty nine. They, they weren't even
1: a regular team in eighty five. I mean, look if we or were they? Am I misremembering that? Um, let me hear. Let me a let me. I'm team. far enough.
0: I'm looking at this cage match right now. Uh, oh, so they started in September of eighty five.
1: As a regular and team.
0: And then, yeah, well, not or, well, see, all that that's regular. What I'm saying. I, th- they that's weren't really the, like an absolute regular, regular team until it looks like 87. That's then 87, what I'm 88. About. Then 88, of course, the huge run with WWF. Uh, 89, the huge run with WWF. And then that's it for them. So it's that's like. That's it. They weren't even a team right? for that like, long.
1: And they were actually a team longer without Dylan as a regular yeah, team. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, like 75% of that is without JJ Dylan, which.
1: That's okay. what I'm thinking like, because if you. Yes, they teamed sporadically in the earlier days of the Horsemen. But I'm talking about as a regular team. You're talking about maybe a two-year period, right? So, I don't know. To me, on the surface, I'm like, look, I like that team a lot. They were a lot of fun. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like I don't don't see them... As and Arn's got
0: so much other stuff to add to his resume. That's the other part that I hate. Like, because Arn Anderson's a guy that, like, from the from the WWE Network, a guy that I've just really appreciated is like when he has those singles matches in like '93 and '94. You know what I mean? Like, even in those late Nitros, even in '97s, his singles matches are great. And then he had like a a tag team with Ric Flair in I think '96 or '97. That was really fun. And and '95 he was doing really cool stuff. I mean, that guy was just he had a lot of cool stuff. And it's it seems really disingenuous to just lump him in with a Tully Blanchard and, and say that that's it for Arne Anderson. You, you know, like, I, I don't know. And I then think he
1: may have been on the ballot. though.
0: Was he on the ballot? Okay. I I'll have to figure out it for sure. I if he think, was. Okay. I think,
1: I think he may have been on the ballot.
0: Let me, let me find out. I actually have Tully, a, uh... Tully
1: too. As you look that up.
0: Yeah. Tully I could see just kind of,
1: he was a, see. Here's the thing though. He was a top guy as a single at least. And Arne never was
0: right. Okay. Tully
1: was a top guy for his father. Okay. Tully was closer to being a top guy in Crockett than Arne ever was you know, with the, with, the, uh, you know with, with the national title and then later with the TV title uh, where he was positioned near the top in semi-main events, the Magnum-TA feud, okay? He was never a top guy because Flair was always there, but he was closer than Arn was. And he was a top guy, you know, in territories before he came to Crockett. So you could actually almost make the case, I think you're right, it is very similar to Tenkoji. They're almost stronger as individual candidates than they are as this tag team. And Tenkoji as a team, they teamed together on and off for 20 years. These guys only teamed together for what? On and off from 85 to 89. Yeah. So. 2006,
0: Arn Anderson fell off the ballot. He had less than 10%. Yeah. In 2006. See,
1: so, you know, I, he, he was never going to make it as a single. I don't know if Tully was ever on on his own. But. Oh,
0: okay. I just closed the window. You told me to look that yeah, up. Yeah, that's I, all
1: right. I if he it. was, he didn't. He didn't. No, I can figure traction. it out real quick.
0: But. um but
1: but see see so Tully might even have a stronger argument as a single. But I you know that's I I don't know. I wouldn't vote for either one of them as a single personally, and um I I I I will look into them as a team. But I can't see myself. Uh,
0: I do not believe Tully Blanchard was ever on the ballot.
1: Hmm. Well, here you go.
0: I can't find yeah I can't find any log of him uh, since two thousand one being on there. So yeah, weird. Okay. There you go. So that's, uh, that is it. So that is who's going to be added. Uh, here's a, kind of an interesting wrinkle as well. These guys will be dropped next year if they do not get 50% or more. Sincarus, Blue Panther, Filano 3 Don Owen, Tim Mr. Wrestling Woods, and Kurt Hennig.
1: So it's a big year for some of these luchadores who are knocking on the door but can never get in.
0: I kind of feel like all three of them are going in, right?
1: I, I mean, you know what? I it's hope, always hard with
0: lucha. <laughs> I hope some of these hard. guys
1: finally get in. It's getting kind of stupid. But um, again, it's not our wheelhouse. I not know. our
0: fault. Not our fault. We don't vote for it, so can't blame <laughs> don't mad us. At us. Yeah,
1: and I, and I don't really know Kurt Henning. I mean, go away already. It's like that's why the fifteen fifty rule. Yeah,
0: he is. They should name it after him because like it's like that how many
1: years in a row are you gonna get seventeen percent? Why are we right twenty two percent?
0: Kurt Henning. Okay, there it's, we, so it's, it's like
1: fifteen years is way too long. I mean, you know, these guys aren't. If these guys aren't getting at least thirty percent after like five years, they should just drop them i mean i know your thing just put them on there once and vote for them you know i mean but the problem with wrestling is these guys are still constantly adding to their case you know that that works better for real sports than it does wrestling but it's like i do think we keep them on these ballots way too long it's just it's clutter They're ballot clutter and then you end up spreading the votes to these random people who are never getting in like kurt henning and it takes away votes from people who are close Right,
0: shouldn't, the 30% that vote for Kurt Hennig can use those votes on, on guys that are probably more deserving and maybe can get in there. Right,
1: and shouldn't the point be to get people in so we can honor them? You know, it's, I, I don't know, but uh, I, I just don't see, I'm a big fan, I'm a big anti-ballot clutter guy. Just get them the fuck off. I mean, he, Kurt Henning is never, and he's dead. He can't add to his, he's, he's never getting in, so just get rid of him.
0: And he's enough of a modern candidate too. Where like no one's gonna find like a news reel that's like, oh man, Kurt Hennig did this or whatever. You know what I mean? Like we know know what he did. Like yeah, we we know everything we need to know about Kurt Hennig. Like look, he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Oh, I I agree. Yeah, I absolutely one of mine. Yeah, top ten for me for sure.
1: But I gotta be fair. You know, that's the funny thing. Like you know, some of my favorite wrestlers of all time are on this ballot, and I don't vote for them. I mean, I'm just a grumpy prick with this. You know, I'm sitting here saying put people in honor them, and I don't vote for anybody. So you know, now I'm talking out of both sides of
0: my. Yeah, CM Punk's one of my favorite wrestlers ever, and I'm. (laughs) <laughs> I voted for him one year, and now I don't know if I'm going to vote for him ever again. So Kojima? You know. I
1: never vote for Kojima. You know, it's, what are you going to do?
0: All right, so that's the uh, Observer Hall of Fame. What do you want to move on to now? Because we have quite a few uh, things left to do in this last hour of the show. we got the All Japan Sumo Hall, uh Pro Wrestling Noah Changes, Ring of Honor Final Battle, and then the uh, awesome Dragon Gate 10-Man uh, from the 12-1 let's, show that I, we definitely have to talk about. We've
1: so. got to make sure we review the final battle, so we should probably do that now. The other okay. ones are shorter topics, I think.
0: Absolutely. Alright, final battle. Um, do you want to go match by match? you want me to start off from the beginning, or do you want to jump right to let's, kind of the big matches let's here? start
1: with the main event, man, and then
0: we'll yeah. work our way back. Works for me. Kyle O'Reilly defeating Adam Cole to become the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, what do you think? I was kind of underwhelmed by this match. I don't know.
1: The show as a whole, I thought, was a good show that didn't have a great match. Um, there were there was one match that came close to being a great match.
0: I would say two that I, I would put close. Yeah, For but me, we'll, it was we'll, the Bucks we'll and the that. Briscoes. Yeah, that was my one, and I, I like Scroll Lee and, and Osprey as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was really good. I didn't think it was it was it was great, but yeah, I, that's the thing. I thought a lot of these matches were really good. Um, so to me, it was a very enjoyable show because there, was, yeah,
0: almost everything was like a three star or better type thing. You know what I mean? Like there was obviously the undercard stuff wasn't, but yeah, for the most part, the balance was was nice.
1: Yeah, and uh, the main event for me, I mean, it wasn't a great match or anything, but similar to how we talked about the Miz and Ziggler being a good capper to their feud. I thought this match was worked properly for the story, though. You know, Kyle O'Reilly has been waiting to get his hands on this guy for a long time. Uh, their backstory in Ring of Honor goes all the way back to what 2011, I guess, when they were tag team partners and everything. And um, the the only problem, you know, I have is is I feel like they missed the peak. With, they missed capitalizing on O'Reilly's win at the right time it came that's, too that's that's
0: the ring of honor thing man they do that almost every champion you can go through their list and it's always like man like six months earlier would have really done it but
1: yeah I mean in his case it almost would have been a year remember they had that pay-per-view in San Antonio where Kyle O'Reilly looked like he had all that momentum going and it looked like they were going to do O'Reilly call it that year's final battle yeah they, yeah yeah they they missed this one by like a year Yeah, well, that was
0: the Tyler Black thing, too, remember? I mean, by the time they got to him, everybody was kind of sick of him already. Hey,
1: fans had started turning on Black. So, you know, no one has turned on O'Reilly yet, but they definitely missed the peak. Um, But, you know, he's got the title. He doesn't have a contract, but he has the title. (laughs) Well. (laughs) um, I mean, you know, look, my speculation is he loses it right back to Cole at Wrestle Kingdom. And the whole thing about it is, you know, it's Bobby Fish. Who missed the show by the way? Because his mother died. He left the European tour because his mother passed away, and you know, they, you know this show was the the day of the either the funeral or the wake. I can't remember which, so he missed this as well. But the other nugget that I had found out, um, you know, the, a day before the show or whatever, was that Bobby Fish was not is not booked for the for the Wrestle Kingdom, and I was like, well, that's weird. Why would O'Reilly be booked and not Fish? And I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> because O'Reilly's going to defend the Ring of Honor title. So there's no use, there's no point bringing Fish in. So then I was like, that spoiled the result of this, you know, once I just fucking, you know, put two brain cells together. So Rich, would you, you know, know, obviously, you know, they're going to do an O'Reilly defense. It'll probably be against Adam Cole. O'Reilly doesn't have a contract. Cole is under contract to at least, I think the middle of next year or the end of next, I think the middle of next. regardless, he's under contract. Do you see Adam Cole winning this title back in less than a month at Wrestle Kingdom?
0: I mean, right now I do because Kyle O'Reilly doesn't have a contract. So I guess, yeah, I'm hoping that they get it done because I would like to see O'Reilly get the contract done and and, and hold the title for a little bit longer because I think it's a really kind of dumb. I don't like that story Then if Adam Cole just wins it right back. And I know I guess like O'Reilly still got his revenge and that's OK or whatever, but I like Kyle O'Reilly and I would like to see him kind of have a run here. Uh, with the title, and I think it's kind of reinvigorating to that, that that championship division, that main event of Ring of Honor too. so I would love for O'Reilly to win, but I mean, when we talk business side and we look at, hey, one guy's got a contract and one guy doesn't, I mean, at this point, right now, you're asking me, as we record this, yeah, I think Adam Cole wins it back, but if Kyle O'Reilly signs a contract, then there's no doubt that Kyle O'Reilly retains it, right?
1: This is that time of year, every year, where Red Dragon flirts with WWE, so, you know, yep. I, we just, we've got to see how that plays out. Um I I like them in Ring of Honor. I like them in New Japan, but I do think that they've done pretty much everything they can do in both of those companies. I wouldn't mind seeing them you know have a little change of pace, end up in WWE, especially Bobby Fish, because look, O'Reilly's going to be there one day, right? I think we all pretty much Oh, I mean, no doubt. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like his day's going to come. Bobby Fish is 40 years old this year. Okay, he's running out of chances he's running out of this is the time of year where he flirts with WWE. I, I, it's got to either fucking happen or not for him at this point. I think he's a hard worker and by all accounts, he's a great guy. And I think he would fit in there at least at the NXT level. And he's a, he's your classic workman like wrestler. And I just think it would be nice to see him have that run. You know what I mean? And he probably wants that too. So from that perspective, I wouldn't mind if, if that's what happens here. Um, you know, But we'll see. That looks like it'll be a dome match. Actually, several different people told us that that was the dome match. A couple of them before the, the title change even happened. So yeah, it definitely yeah. looks like the direction is Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole uh, for the Tokyo Dome. So yeah. But uh, yeah, look, I didn't think it was a great match, but I, I liked it well enough. I thought it fit the, it fit the feud though, because it was a brutal match.
0: Certainly, yeah, and I think if people I mean that you talk to us and, and this is you know, anybody who listens to this show knows what we usually think about kind of hardcore type match and this this match was that. It was a lot of weapons, a lot of that sort of stuff, and you know, you and I don't really like that as much as other people because I saw our reviewer Sean Cedor, he gave it a I think four and a half or four and a quarter or something like that, and he says, I love Ring of Honor hardcore style matches. So if that's something you like and if you like that sort of style, you'll love this match. For me, I was a little disappointed because I you know, I just want to see these guys kind of work and I like Kyle O'Reilly when he's just kind of being the the super worker Kyle O'Reilly guy but like I understand that my tastes are different than other people there are going to be a lot of people that really love this match so don't necessarily listen to us because I think it's something that you do have to watch because it was an important match it was a well worked match and it was a good story match whether you like the work or not whether you wanted them to you know exchange hold and exchange you know finishers instead of you know drop each other on thumbtacks or whatever okay that's that you know that's that's your personal preference but I still do think uh, regardless of what we think or regardless of what I think or you you still do have to check out this match because I think it was an important match um, for the history of Ring of Honor and for you know Final Battle, it's a great cap off to that feud and a great cap off for for a pretty good show as well. Uh, the show of the night, I think, for both of us, the Young Bucks uh, defeating the Briscoes to retain the ROH uh, World Tag Team Titles. Uh, this match was nuts and just a lot. I mean, like it was like peak Briscoes, peak Young Bucks. I just, I, I really, really, really like this match.
1: Did you see the match they had in Europe from the weekend before?
0: I did not. No, I have. Uh, I, I, I've been alerted to where I can watch that, but I, I have not watched it. It's yet. It's even so.
1: better than this one.
0: Okay, well now I'm excited. So now I'm gonna watch it soon.
1: They just had back to back two tremendous matches, and of course the match they had on the European tour, the Briscoes won to set up the title defense. So hey, the booking was sound, and then the Bucks win this one to successfully defend the titles. What did you think of the finish? It was a little controversial. A lot
0: of people. I, mean, <laughs> I liked it. I thought yeah. it was awesome. I mean, that was cool. Yeah. So if people didn't see it, essentially the the Briscoes are on their knees, and the Young Bucks basically hit what about 22 straight super kicks to them uh, before they both finally collapse, and then You're they not exaggerating. Them. No, I'm, I'm. it might have been 20. I didn't, I didn't count exactly. They gave him a bunch but it was of right up there, kicks yeah. to the
1: head, and then the Briscoes were kind of like sort of that thing where you're dead and you know it, but you're just like, finish me.
0: Yeah, it was, it was like the Mortal Kombat, fin- you know, fatality. Yeah. They're just kind of in. They're kind of like woozy, like wobbling back and forth until the Bucks finally did finish them. So. And then they just
1: finished them off with another kick in the head, and that was that. And it was good to see the Bucks finish somebody without using the more bang for your buck or the Meltzer driver or the Indy taker, you know. This time, it was a different finish. It was a unique finish.
0: It was kind of brutal, too. And I like that. You don't get brutal, brutal yeah. young bucks all that often. That's right. So, and very... when you do, it, it's great. I love brutal young bucks. See, so that a, lot was of, it.
1: a lot of people saw it as sticky. I don't agree with that. I thought no, it was no, brutal and nasty. So that's why it worked for me. And I did think it was uh, the best match on the show. And, and, and the match they had in, in, in the UK was even better. And um, I thought the booking in the UK was great because the Bucks, you know, they survived the challenge of Willow Spray and Marty Skrull. And then they uh, lost to the Briscoes to set up this match at final battle. And then they also, you know what I liked about uh, the Briscoe match against Skrull and Osprey in the UK? What I really liked about it was I wanted to see how Ring of Honor would handle that with Skrull and Osprey's history of being arch rivals. And Ring of Honor could have ignored that and just had, you know, this is our own universe. We're going to, bu-, but they didn't. Uh, Skrull made it clear he didn't want to team with Ospreay and then they lost the match and then he made it clear that he wanted to face him for that television title the next night. I like that because that's good. It doesn't treat us like we're idiots and and especially the fans that were at the show. Everyone at that show in the UK is well aware that these two men are career rivals. So to just pretend that they're buddies who are, you know, willing to team with each other, uh, you know, basically what they did was Skrull's promo. He basically said, look, we'd love a shot at these tag team titles tonight, even though I hate this guy. You know what I mean? That like I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. And then it didn't work out. And you know, we all know what happened the next night when Skrull won the TV title for most spray. So excellent. book. that UK tour was excellent booking by ring of honor. And I thought this show was well booked too. If we're going to bury ring of honor when they have terrible booking, which we do all the time, we have to praise them when they do things right. And I thought everything they did in the UK and everything on this show were the correct decisions. And I guess this is a good transition into the three-way match that you thought was an excellent match to Skrull over uh dragon Lee and Will Ospreay. Um, I liked it. I didn't think it was a great match. though so it was a very good match. I, my feeling on it was, it was a good introduction to Skrull and Osprey, though, because they left a lot in the tank. They didn't empty their tank on yep. this match. And you, I feel like they're, they're going to recreate that feud in ring of honor and have those awesome matches that they've been having all over the world in ring of honor. Now, I thought Dragon Lee kind of got lost in the match a little
0: bit. He did, yeah. That's uh, that was going to be my point of it. Is I really thought this match, I I enjoyed it a lot because of Scroll and Osprey. Which sucks because Dragon Lee is so good, and I thought it would have just been, I think maybe a little bit better of a match if it was just one, you know, one on one, whether it was Scroll and Osprey or Dragon Lee and Osprey or Dragon Lee and Scroll or you know what I mean, like any combination of those, I think would have maybe produced a, a better overall match than this as a three way because it just seemed like Dragon Lee was kind of there for the ride, and that sucks because that guy is so good, and you can like you can use him in so many different ways, and he's just he's just a great talent as well. So that kind of disappointed me a little bit that he was just kind of an accessory. So I thought the larger story of Skrull and Osprey, but I mean, when Skrull and Osprey get in the ring, pretty much any time they do it, I mean, those guys are just so goddamn good and they have just so much great chemistry. And and I thought even you know of spots that kind of stood out to me. I mean, Dragon Lee doing the Hurricane Run and Osprey landing on his feet on the floor uh, was awesome, and oh, that's yeah. just an introduction to what you know. If you have never seen Osprey, that's what he can do, and he's capable of doing that. But yeah, I thought it was a really you, your point about them leaving a lot in the tank was absolutely true. Where I was a little disappointed that they didn't pull it all out and do everything that every single one of those guys can do. But I'm thinking, okay, you don't have to do that. I mean, let kind of wet the appetite a little bit with these guys and go, okay, these guys are here. Like this isn't just a one night attraction for these guys. Like they'll be back. And I think that's the important thing that ring of honor did with this thing is say, here are these guys. And we have them by the way, and they're not going anywhere. And we will use them again. So now watch the next part of the saga. And I enjoyed that aspect of it.
1: And you mentioned the Will spray spot where he takes the hurricane Ron off the apron and lands on his feet. We've seen that spot a million times, right? but it was very clear that the fans in New York didn't because they went nuts when he did that. And the key point here is they left a lot in the tank, but they still got over. Yeah. And the next time someone tells you that these guys can't work, make sure you bring that up because that's what wrestling is all about. Okay. They left plenty in the tank and they still got over with that crowd. And ring of honor is also doing the right things. They're just pushing them right out of the gate. They pushed them in front of their home fans. They did that awesome quickie title switch, which to me worked to perfect. And especially once I saw it, we put it over before we saw it. Now that I've seen the matches and how it all played out, especially how the tag team match with the Bucks worked into it, my God, that was great booking. It was—I can't praise it enough—and it worked in front of the, in front of those uh, home fans. They went nuts for both title changes. Marty Scurll's coming off like an absolute superstar. Will Ospreay's going to come once they get—they see more of him. He's gonna look. Ring of Honor is doing all the right things so far with these two guys. They know they have something special with them. Uh, they know that there was competition to sign these guys with WWN. They got them, and they're pushing them, and they're doing a great job of both. Yeah. And they and they worked a very smart match here. Uh, that
0: scroll theme's got to go though. He's got to update what, it.
1: It works so much better on YouTube. Like when I listened to it on YouTube, I was like, you know what? This is gonna work. It's got a similar vibe. You got the whoop whoops in there. You know it's gonna. But then in practice, when you hear it in the buildings, it
0: just nah, does it doesn't not, work. It's, it's too dark. It's too dark. And like the part that I love about his, his European thing is it, it's dark, but it's like more mysterious. And it's like trashy, too, which it needs to be trashy. This one is not trashy enough. This one's just dark.
1: You know what it is? This it's one's too like slow. A,
0: it's too slow. Yeah, it needs to be a little Euro trashy. It's not Euro trashy. It's, yeah, it's, it's just it's just so
1: dark like. Horror
0: methodical movie. and dark, and he's not methodical and dark. He's dark. He, you know, he's, he's mysterious cocky. and trashy. Yeah, he, he's it's a like, cheater and he's
1: cocky. He's, the, he's right. the villain. He's the villain. You know, and it's, like, it's too right. much
0: of like the dark villain thing. Like they got the villain in their head, and they said, okay, this is a villainous song. And it's like, yeah, he is the villain, but he's not like a like a uh, he's not like a serial killer villain. You know what I mean? He's just kind of a cocky prick villain. Like,
1: yeah, it's just a shame they can't use his. They got a Jimmy Harden They just got the
0: Jimmy Harden And make it like Almost exactly the same And then just Plead ignorance Until someone Calls him on it He's
1: got two themes In Europe But we're talking about The one that he used At Wrestlemania weekend That Right 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 Yeah that one That's the one It's a shame they can't Use that one That one is so perfect For him It suits his entrance
0: have you, you've seen it live too. Like, I saw it in an AEW yeah. show too. It's just fucking perfect live. Because, like, M- Michelle, you know, the nurse, she had, she was watching it and she had no idea. And he came out and she goes, Ew, this guy's disgusting. And I was like, Why? She's like, listen to this, like, terrible music. And I was like, But that's what you want. I was like, Yep, yeah, that, that, that's, and then he came out and she was like, Ew, he's like a big, trashy Euro guy. And I was like, Yep, that's, that's, that's Marty Scroll. Like, it was perfect. Like, the music, like, in, in, ha- she had, hadn't even seen the guy and already knew what this guy and was and all he, about. And it
1: got him over. Yep. right and it's like and then and then he wrestles and he gouges you in the eyes and stomps you. Like, oh. <laughs>
0: exactly all right she hated him fingers, she, you know she hated him so much like she's still kind of a mark in that way where like she hates when guys cheat or do that to, and she was like I hate this guy he's disgusting he looks like he smells <laughs> the right and I'm kind of like yeah. hate
1: the right kind right of yeah hate good hate. hate yeah and is it like, and it's like his entrance and I agree like seeing it live it, it's a whole he comes off like the biggest star on every show he's on because of that entrance and you know he puts a lot of work into that and a lot of effort into it
0: Oh, the guy's uh, got personal branding down to a fucking science. Is, I mean, that guy, the videos, it. his look, his social media, he's any photo shoot he he's it. in. Like, that guy knows it. He, he nails it. He fucking
1: gets it. And he puts money yeah. into it. Right. And he gets it. And he's the kind of guy where he, when he ends up in WWE, they better just get let, get out of his way. He's, he understands. You don't need to help. Or give him,
0: him Jimmy Jacobs. Make that Jimmy Jacobs sole project is him and Marty Scroll. I think that could work.
1: You know what I mean? It's like he, you don't need to interfere. He knows no. what he's doing. OK, so leave that guy alone. And, you know, if, if Ring of... But uh, circling back to Ring of Honor to doing all the right things with these two guys, it's... it's they haven't... They've handled them perfectly to, to roll them out both in the UK and then their first show here, which is great. Um, something I didn't really enjoy the rollout of was the New Kingdom as they won... Look, <laughs> as, as, soon as, as soon as they announced... I was all into the six-man tournament, but when they announced there was going to be a New Kingdom, you knew they were winning the tournament. So that took a lot yeah. of the juice out of it for me. TK O'Reilly and Vinny Marcellia. Now Vinnie Marseglia, he's been around for a while. Um and I was familiar with him. I wasn't familiar with TK Ryan. Here's the thing. They kind of won me over with their work by the end of the match, because they everyone busts. The match their itself was good. Match. The match
0: itself was very good. The problem is
1: they're very indie. Oh these, yeah. These two guys are super indie. They're and and you know, it's gonna be hard for them to get over with me at least. From that perspective, because you know, as you know, Rich, I've become more and more of a snob when it comes to the uh, the indie shit. I can't fucking take it. And these guys just scream. Two guys working in Dothan, Alabama, in front of 150 people. I mean, they're yeah,
0: that's yeah. I I had the. I I tweeted out earlier that like they when the Kingdom came out, I said that is a 2002 Ring of Honor stable right there. That is the backseat boys. That's like you know, like those sort of where you're (laughs) just like, man, you like if they wrestled 10 years earlier, they'd be wearing track pants for sure they were uh, worn track pants or the shiny black pants. It just so happens they're in today's, but yeah, they are they are indie riffic and that's uh, yeah, it's it. It's and it's not a shame great, because so. they
1: worked hard, and the match was pretty good. I cannot get over their look. If that makes me a snob, so be it. Um, I do expect a certain level of professionalism from Ring of Honor that I expect them. I, look, when it comes to evolve and Ring of Honor and sort of these in between promotions that eh, they're indies, but they're kind of not. Then I can't, I don't call. I don't consider Ring of Honor an indie. I really don't. You know, they're they're owned by a media conglomerate and they're on national TV and they're on pay per view and you know, same thing for Evolve. I I, I mean they are an indie, but I, I expect better of these groups and these guys were just very indie and I, 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 I and I don't think guys like them and the Beer City Bruiser belong on TV. I mean I think it, it drags the product down when you see indie riffic people like this. But I can't rip the match from a here's one thing I'll say about this match. One thing Ring of Honor is always good at. They explained Leo Rush being in the match instead of ACH. I don't know if you caught this from Kevin Kelly. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was good because he said, Leo Rush was originally on this team, but ACH replaced him when he wasn't able to make dates with the understanding that Leo Rush would eventually return if they advanced in the tournament. Now, that's complete bullshit, but he covered for it in kayfabe. And And they sold it, yeah. And I like that. Because it's not, again, it's not insulting to me. When I'm watching a pro wrestling show, I do try to suspend my disbelief. And it, it was very believable what he said within the confines of kayfabe. You know what I mean? And and I I like when promotions pay that level of attention to detail. And I'll tell you something. Kevin Kelly always does that. Yes, he does. In these circumstances. And I, I do appreciate that as a fan.
0: Yeah, he's good at that. Yeah, They didn't
1: just throw Leo Rush out there with no explanation and treat us like idiots. Okay, they at least tried to explain it to us like you would see a territory announcer do in 1970. You know what I mean? It's like that thing where they don't want to break kayfabe. Too often now, promoters don't care.
0: They just say fuck it, and they say everybody will forget in two weeks anyway. Yeah,
1: like, ah, people get it. You know, Ring of Honor always goes that extra mile to explain these things, and I really appreciate
0: it. The rest of the show, we'll kind of have to get get through this here pretty quick because we got some other topics to do. I don't have any real strong thoughts about anything else. I did want to talk about Cody and Jay Lethal, though. Uh, I don't think we have to break down Silas Young and, and Just Thunder Liger, but I do want to talk Cody and Lethal. Um, You tweeted out that this was the best Cody Rhodes indie match that you've seen. Correct. I, yeah, I mean, is that a low bar thing, or did you really like this match a lot? Because I, I thought I, it was I didn't just like it okay. A lot, like, but I,
1: I didn't like it a lot, but I liked it, and I thought that it was Cody's best, in, uh, best. I'm saying indie again, but Ring of Honor is not indie, but people know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah non-WWE, uh, post-WWE match. I it's guess the we, best
1: Cody say. match that I've personally seen. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. And I thought the heel turn was great.
0: Heel turn was spectacular. I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. For sure.
1: So, I mean, you know, I, yeah, but I, of the matches that I've seen him have, this was the best one. And I wouldn't call it a low bar. It's just been a mediocre bar. He goes out there and gives you, you know,
0: that's Cody three. Rhodes. I mean, yeah, that's it. He gives you two
1: and three quarters. or He gives you three and a quarter. You know what I mean? And, and, and this was like three and a half. You know, I, I, I thought that the work was good here and they did some cool things. And believe me, I was, in, I was afraid this match was going to be a disaster because these are two guys who aren't exactly hot right now when it comes to the bell-to-bell action. Okay, Jay Lethal has not had a good go. But uh, I thought they delivered, and I yeah I do think it was the best Cody match I've seen. But go ahead and talk about the heel turn.
0: Yeah, the heel turn I loved. So people that didn't see this, um, there was a point towards the end of the match where, and, and they kind of explain it a little bit too, and I think they'll do a little bit more, uh, you know, on TV and that sort of stuff. But uh, there gets to a point in the match where Cody keeps trying to get Lethal, and he can't he can't seem to get him, he can't seem to finish him off. Uh, they do kind of a little bit of a ref bump, and then Cody, you know, he's kind of reserved, he kind of looks around, and then he just hits Jay Lethal right in the nuts. And then that's it. And like that's and then the crowd just immediately boos, and he kinda has a smirk on his face. Uh, and then, you know, then he pins Jay Lethal and wins. And then to kind of follow it up, then he's he's bad mouthing, you know, people. He's he's in the ring beating down Jay Lethal. He won't do the code of honor. He goes up to the announce table, he shoves Steve Carino. He does all this really cool stuff that I, I, I really enjoy that because it's something they haven't done with Cody on the indies yet. And I think that's the perfect thing for Cody Rhodes because you're not gonna get spectacular indie superstar Cody Rhodes. Like you're not gonna get Chris Hero out of Cody Rhodes. That's never gonna happen. And Ring of Honor understands that that's not going to happen, and they're going okay. What, what? How? How do we maximize Cody Rhodes? And I think this is the way to maximize him because people believe that this would be a guy that would sort of look down upon the Indies. And Ring of Honor used to be so good about this. Remember, um, you know the two thousand, you know the, those old eras, the two thousand two to two thousand five Ring of Honor. They do such a good job of when guys came from WWF, they would always kind of look at this like, uh, oh, you know. It's kind of low, you know, they wouldn't say it's low rent, but they would always kind of say, well, you know, I was a bigger deal here. Oh, you know, I, you know, know, they did this sort of stuff and it was great heel heat. Because the Ring of Honor guys would always kind of defend their company. No bullshit. We're awesome. We're we're great. We're you know we're we're just as good. You guys have all the flashy you know pyro and on the screens and all, but we're the best wrestlers in the world. We're fucking Ring of Honor. We're great. And I think you can do that with this Cody Rhodes thing where he comes in here. And I hope that's how they do it. And I don't know exactly what they're gonna do, but I I have this idea that he he feels entitled. He needs his own locker room. You know he's a guy that came from DOF and he's doing. I like this idea. Some people see it as like you putting down Ring of Honor for being low rent or being a step below. But I think if it's done for real good heel heat and in the end Ring of Honor proves that they are better or do you have a, a baby face that really, you know, does it for ring of honor and really defends their honor, you know, you know, <laughs> the fun included. Uh, that's cool. I like that story with this. So I, I hope that's what they do with Cody. Cause I thought this, I thought they absolutely nailed this heel turn. And I liked that they had the balls ring of honor, had the balls to be the first one to do it because it just wasn't going to happen as indie superstar Cody Rhodes. We all knew that.
1: Hey, again, very well booked show top to bottom. Yeah. I thought every, everything works from a booking perspective. Dalton Castle-Cole Cabana was a nothing match. That was a two-star special. Didn't like it. Um, Silas Young over Jushin Liger was very disappointing. I didn't like that. And uh, the opener was the Rebellion um, taking on Motor City Machine Guns and Donovan Dijak. The Rebellion won. A lot of people are upset because Dijak's side didn't win. It didn't bother me because Dijak did not take the pin. And also oh, Dijak was
0: the star anyway. I mean, the, you who cares you. who won that? Match? It was all much. about a Dijak. My next yeah.
1: point was that he was the clear star of the match, and, right. and so it yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter that you know Alex Shelley or whoever took the pin. The other thing is, there it seems to me they're setting up the Rebellion for a six man title shot, so the booking made sense. I don't have a problem with the Rebellion winning, provided Dijak didn't take the fall, which he didn't, and he was the star, so I had no problem with that either. People are so worried about Dijak. Don't worry about Donovan Dijak, <laughs> okay? Because unless they lose the guy, he's going to get pushed to the moon. And none right. of these, you know, losing to Bobby Fish and, you know, losing it, then none of this is going to hurt him. The guy's going to get pushed. Up. Don't worry about Dijak. Relax, okay? He doesn't have to win every single match right now. He really doesn't, okay? He lost to Jay White in the UK. And, again, they're doing the, – the Jay White has the undefeated gimmick going. I thought that was – you know, and they both look great in that match. And, and, and and you know, that was okay too. None of this is going to hurt Dijak. Dijak is going to be fine. He'll be main eventing this show next year. And that's not even going out on a limb. He'll be main eventing this show next year if he's with the company. So don't worry about Dijak. But so that was your uh, Ring of Honor final battle. Look, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun show to watch. You know, you don't have to have a match in year contender on every show to enjoy. This was an enjoyable show from top to bottom. It had a couple dry points there in the early going with the early prelims, but You know, the final five or six matches, I thought, all delivered. And I thought the booking was solid, which, you know... What else can you ask for? You yeah, it's a time?
0: solid two hours. I mean, those two hours flew by. The last two hours of the show was, was fine. And, like, everybody kind of felt different. And there feels like there's some really good directions going on in Ring of Honor yes. now. And I can't say the same thing for the last, you know, three or four years. So that, that's something where you can see clear stories developing. You can see clear hierarchies coming. You can see clear stars being built and guys, you know, going different. And, and that's good. You want that. And that's all you really want out of wrestling is, you know, the matches are solid and the, and the stories are are, are are airtight as well. And that's what you've gotten with Ring of Honor lately. So that that's can't complain.
1: Completely agree. Now, I think what we should do, production note here, uh, live okay. production note, let's bump the Noah because we can do Noah in, in detail instead of shortchanging it to five minutes. Correct,
0: yeah, because that's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on in Noah. and we do have to, their big to, show to give it some love. And their big show isn't
1: until Christmas week, so we've got a couple weeks. Okay, One, one of the Deal. next couple shows, we can go hardcore on the Noah stuff and do it in detail, and it'll leave time, enough time to do that justice and we enough time for what we have left tonight.
0: Deal. Sounds good. You want to do uh, Sumo Hall, All Japan?
1: Sumo Hall, All Japan.
0: All right, we'll break down every single match here in excruciating detail. No, I want to talk about the main event first. It's definitely uh, not what we're doing. <laughs> so, okay, so we got Super Tiger and da, da, da. okay, no, uh, yeah, we, Miyahara and Suwama main event. Obviously, the big moment here is Suwama not successful in his defense or in his, his attempt to win the title. Challenge. challenge. Miyahara in his challenge. Kento Miyahara six successful title defense now definitely the ace of all japan the guy who's claimed that, that that this is his mountain he's he's on top of it did you like that finish because you know when we talked about it a little bit you kind of were on the Suwama side of of you know i'd like Miyahara to kind of chase a little bit are you okay now that Suwama or uh, Miyahara rather uh one and now he's kind of the clear-cut guy in all japan and now it's kind of the question of okay what's next
1: my whole thing was i would have had i would have booked Suwama to win just to give Miyahara something to chase but I didn't think either finish would have been a bad finish. You know what I mean? It's like I think Right, they were in a
0: good spot there. with Whatever they did was probably going to work out.
1: And now that I've seen it play out, I'll say that I was probably wrong. Because it, it, I think what, what really swayed me is Irving on our board, who is the undisputed All Japan Pro Wrestling encyclopedia. This man knows more about All Japan, especially post-Exodus All Japan, than anyone and he posts on our board and i think the all japan thread on our message board is one of the best threads on our board i it just it's a wealth of information and he's a big reason oh be. and those
0: guys are hardcore too and, and he's not fans. he's not the only one like he's right. he's one of the Cold. best but there's like yeah. yeah there's like four or five dudes that are just like all yeah. japan is their life man and it's and, great and they know what
1: yeah. inside and it's great information great discussion but irving made a great point um he he said look uh he's like i i keep hearing the argument that uh, Suwama should be uh, the guy, this 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 wall that Miyahara needs to overcome, uh, this person that needs to be uh, uh, vanquished. But his point was, no, Miyahara can be that guy for everyone else now. That's yeah, what it that's should. What, that's and what that, I
0: thought too. I agree. And,
1: and he really, and and that really resonated with me when he made that point. And by putting Suwama in his rearview mirror that really does establish Miyahara as the roadblock for everybody now, which is, which is good. And, and considering that this was a huge show with quote unquote, 6,000 people in the building, which we can get to in a minute. And, and, and the enormous, their first big show in years, it did make more sense for Miyahara to go over and hold that belt up as the show went off the air and be firmly established as the guy. I don't think the other finish would have been terrible, but yes, I think Miyahara winning, uh, in hindsight, was the correct call? They made the correct call.
0: What do you think of Suwama's work during this match? I was very underwhelmed by him. Um, here, I, I thought this was a hundred percent of Kento Mi- Kento Ohara I feel like could have wrestled just about anybody and had a spectacular match because he was he was incredible. This entire match, but Suwama, I, I don't know, man. Like
1: Suwama came into this match, uh, he had not been good since he's returned from the injury. He returned from an Achilles injury at the age of forty, and he returned that's, from it. Yeah, and that's he returned tough. from it ahead of schedule. So his work like hasn't very ahead good. of schedule too, like yeah. shockingly ahead of schedule. So. Right. And, 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 and his work hasn't been good. People feared he'd be terrible here. Um, the story of the match was Suwama just beating the living shit out of this guy. And then Kent and then Miyahara making the comeback at the end, which is a Suwama style match. And I think it may have been the smartest thing to do considering the physical state of the man. It was a good match. I didn't think it was a great match. I thought it was a good match. And, um, my only issue, look, I didn't have a problem with Suwama's performance because they worked the style of match where it kind of hid his current deficiencies. Um, the the only problem I had with the match was I felt like I wish Kento Miyahara's, um, and I know you're going to say the same thing. I don't mean to steal your thunder, but you could elaborate on it. But um, I wish Kento Miyahara's comeback and win were more emphatic. It sort of just was his comeback was too short. It didn't have the oomph yeah. that I wanted it to have. I wish it was a more emphatic, definitive, kill this motherfucker sort of comeback instead of what it was. But you're right, Miyahara's performance, his selling in this match was top notch. I mean, the way he was just flopping his body around. There was one spot where he got knocked out of the ring, and he just, he just, his body just slid out of the ring between the middle and, and bottom rope. He was just very good here, getting over, putting over the damage that Suwama was laying on.
0: But yeah, I, I was a little disappointed in the in the kind of the comeback of Miyahara because I thought this was a good time to cuz especially when you when you watch the match, I mean, it's 26 minutes and a lot of that was just Suama beating him down and beating him down and beating him down, and you know, I mean, for the people that are you you know, you watch it spoiled, you know that Miyahara is coming back at some point. I think that kind of changed it for me because I watched it uh, you know, spoiled, so I'm going, okay, Miyahara is coming back sometime. When's it happening? And he just kind of does a few moves, and then he wins. And then, you know, he hits that shutdown German, and that's it. And I was just like, mm, man. Like, I really was... I, I I geared myself up. I was ready. Okay, here comes the Miyahara comeback. And it came, and then it was over. And it was just like that. And I thought that was a little... Just because Suwama dominated so much of it, I would have liked to have seen in this sort of match, in this definitive of a match, Miyahara really, really then make a, a big comeback. But, you know, it's okay, because they 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 do it different. All Japan is a different style than other Japanese promotions, So you kind of have to understand that that's going to kind of come with the territory. My personal preference though, would have been Miyahara kind of getting a little bit more of a comeback, but I understand that they kind of wanted that. That's what they did. And I-, I think it was just as effective the way they did it. But I do, you know, my personal enjoyment of the match would have been increased by Miyahara having a little bit more of a comeback, but you know, it's neither here nor there. Cause it was a great moment for, for all Japan. It was a great main event uh, to cap off. It was a, a pretty fun, but, agonizingly long show, which I had to break this up into, like, five parts, man. It, it was really tough. But uh, my favorite match of the night, though, actually was not this. My match of the night was the one before this, the World Tag Team match. Uh, the World Tag Championship match, rather. Uh, Strong BJ, uh, Sakamoto and Okabayashi versus uh, Zeus and Bodyguard. What did you think of this one?
1: It is my favorite match on the show, too. Okay,
0: Zeus with the win. I, what I loved about this is Zeus and Bodyguard, they just beat Strong BJ. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like they got lucky. They, they just fucking beat those dudes. And that's something, you know, like... That Sakamoto and Okabayashi, That's, those are big time guys that they just beat, and that was I thought really cool to have Zeus and Bodyguard just just prove that they were a better team on this night.
1: Continuing the Ring of Honor theme, I, I thought this was a very well booked show. Um, that was a smart thing to do. You have these outsiders coming in as your champions, and you have your um, you know your 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 all Japan team, you know, vanquish them, win the titles, and do it in pretty definitive fashion. I thought the work was great. I thought that uh bodyguard was able to hang with the other guys uh, just fine where he didn't look out of place. And I think Zeus at some point will very likely be the big challenger to Miyahara. Um, you know, he he's, was- he's
0: obviously the, the wrestling observer most improved, right?
1: I mean, I, I can't look, there's other contenders, but I'm probably going to vote for him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean because- that guy was just a duh. I mean, that guy was a skip. That was a skip right away kind of guy yeah. for years. Like,
1: yeah, he wasn't good. And, He's legitimately good now, you know? And um, so, yeah, he's a definite contender for that. But, uh, yeah, this was my favorite match, too. I thought it was the best match on the show.
0: All right. Uh, what would you think of the other tag match? It was uh, Fuchi and uh, Onita defeating Aoki and Sato for the titles. What would you think of that one? That All right, was now, kind of
1: it, it, was, it was crowd-pleasing, okay? It was exactly what you'd expect from an Onita match with the blood, um, which was a great dichotomy from what you usually see with Aoki and Sato. Um, and look, I can't sit here and tell you, I it was any kind of great match or anything. I didn't hate it necessarily. Um, look, it was a fun story because, you know, Fucci and Onita have been chasing these titles for, you know, a hundred years and
0: literally, <laughs>
1: and, uh, you know, you know, they finally win them, the all Asia tag team titles, which, you know, in Baba's day, you know, it's, it's, it's technically, it's a secondary tag team title, but it was usually juniors that fought, you know, like Furness and Crawford, and those sort of guys. Um, you know, we're in the mix uh, for a long time. So it was, it was kind of a unofficial junior set of tag team titles, but it really isn't. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, and and, and, I, and these champions were juniors, you know, coming in Aoki and Sato, but um, it, it, it it's not technically a junior title. So I, I look, I think they're the hundredth champions, which is fucking weird. Um, but, but sort of fitting. Um, that's a nice round number. Look, it, it wasn't a, little, look, I didn't think it was anything great. I, Onita is what he is, you know. he's what you get when an Onita match. It wasn't bad. It was. It, it was. I don't know, man. I'm running out of things to say, Rich. I'm waiting for you to save me.
0: <laughs> I got nothing, man. I had no strong thoughts about this match at all. I thought uh, Onita had the most missed I have ever seen. <laughs> I mean, that was just like he was missed. Uh, is is yeah. I I um. Yeah, you know it It
1: means more to you if you're a longtime fan who saw this team struggle to win. Right, I
0: didn't. Like, I've never had that connection with Onita. Like, a lot of people do, and like I've watched some of the FMW stuff, but I I I didn't grow up in that era. You know what I mean? Like the the Onita that I know was like one or two times I'd watch like a a downloaded video of a exploding death match or whatever, and I go, "Oh, that's kind of funny," and that was it. Like I've never had that sort of connection to Onita. So if you do. Then I, I get it. You love that. I mean, he, he's if that's your st- and you enjoy that stuff, and you enjoy his character, and you enjoy his his demeanor and everything that he does, you'll enjoy it. But if you don't, it's just like, you know, he's just Donita. You know, Rich, like, Rich,
1: here's what you're trying to say. When you watched FMW tapes, you connected with Hayabusa, you, right? Con- you connected with Mike Awesome, right? Like you weren't connecting. Yeah, with- I was a big
0: Gladiator. Yeah, I love the Gladiator.
1: You oh, yeah. you know you, you were connecting with Big Titan, probably not. But you no. you weren't connecting. <laughs> You weren't, you weren't I would into say, it. hey, is that,
0: was that Razor Ramon?
1: Like, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, you, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, Onita's okay, but he just didn't personally connect with you. And, 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 and that's okay.
0: Like, um, I find those matches funny, but I don't like go out of my way to ever watch them. You, you know, it's like. Not,
1: listen, it's not my bag of chips either, man. So yeah. I totally get what you're saying. And, um, yeah, so.
0: Uh, any other matches on this card? Because there's a bunch of other stuff that we can talk about. Uh, can people I, all want to talk. I think.
1: Look, people really wanted us to talk about it, so I think we can blow up the rest <laughs> of it. Um, we're just running out of time. I mean, I'm not trying to be.
0: No, uh, no, no. We just.
1: And we would have done. Believe me, we would have done this show top to bottom if we had a show last week. Oh, we were going to lead off with it last week. This was yeah. the lead off topic last week, but it's old news now, and we're just we're just so much happened, and now we're running out of time. But uh, so we had the World Junior match, which was the two DDT dudes, Soma Takeo and Kensuke Ishii. Rich, these guys worked their asses off, and they had a good little match. The problem was the fans didn't give a shit, and Joe Lanza didn't give a shit. Because I don't care about either one of these guys. They don't connect with me. Um, they, they, they they, aren't guys that I'm into at all. They worked hard. They had a good match. I just didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And neither did anybody in
0: sumo. Home. Yeah, that, that hurt a little bit because I, I – I probably came away with this bigger fans of both of those guys because I thought they worked their ass off. And I, at the end of it, I said, that's a really good match. Like, at no point in the match was I invested at all in who won or who did. But when it was all said and done, I went, oh, you know what? That was really, I enjoyed that match a lot. Like, a lot more than I thought I would have. So I came away bigger fans, but yeah, it, 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 it did suffer on the first viewing just because I wasn't invested in those guys. And like you said, the crowd really wasn't either. But I came away really impressed by both of the guys. I enjoyed that match. It was probably
1: the third best match on the show.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh,
1: uh, then we had the uh, Geora TV Championship match. Yohei Nakajima against the challenger Jiro. And our uh, our boy Jiro is your new Geora TV yes. Champion. Yes. Woo! This was a decent little match too. I had no problem with this match. And I had... And look... I do have a connect. I like Jiro. Jiro's a guy who I do like. So it's I was a charisma
0: in- machine, man. He comes out and people just go nuts. I love, I love a little Eichmann. I love my Eichmann. I,
1: I was invested in this match where yeah. I wasn't invested in the DDT dudes. Look, I struggle with a lot of the DDT roster. I mean, people know that I make no bones about it. And, you know, even though that was the better match, I, I was more into Jiro than I was the uh, the two DDT juniors. We had Junakiyama and, and uh, Kendo Kashi. <laughs> <laughs> against Takeo Amori, uh, get wild and Manabu Soya. Takeo Amori, <sighs> your boys.
0: There's um, one way to ruin a get wild Junakiyama match, and that's adding Kendo Kashin to it. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and the <laughs> thing is, <sighs> Kashin's so coming bad. back for Tag League to team
0: with <sighs> uh, with with Akiyama. Why? And, and, and what have look, we done to deserve this? What have we done?
1: Koshin was his usual lazy, uninteresting self, and this <laughs> why is why does he get booked. I, I, it, look, it, look, he, I'll tell you why he got booked. He got booked for the same reason that Onita got booked. He got booked for the same reason that the fucking old guys were about to talk about get booked because they wanted, they needed to sell tickets to the show. So I understand. I don't have who a, buys tickets to watch Ken Koshin? <laughs> listen, I don't have a problem with booking these dudes from that perspective. They needed to load this baby up, and the problem I have oh, is bringing oh, him back and retaining him. Yeah, and, and moving forward with him with Junakiyama, he was—he's lazy, he's boring, and he stinks. And this is God, why I don't those, like the guy. Those other
0: three are so good, and he just—he dragged the match down because like he's so bad. <laughs> it's like, God damn it! Like,
1: and now get wild. We're going to speculate. Are they going to split up? Are they going to you know? Because there was a little bit of tension there.
0: There was, yeah. of course. First time in four years. You know, I hope. I so, hope they we'll don't. See what
1: happens. I'll tell you what, maybe we're selling this match short as the third best match in the show. Jake Lee, Yuma Aogi, and Koji Iwamoto against Ryuji Sai, Kengo Mishimo, and Konosuke Takashita. Rich, this was a hot little 11 minute, six man tag. I mean, it, it was. was.
0: Those guys went out there to impress. That was what they were going for here. <laughs> it's like, take notice of us.
1: Jake Lee looked great. Takashita always looks great. Um, uh, you yeah, know, Ryuji Sai worked hard in this match. Look, this was a good match. If you haven't seen this show yet and you're looking at a six hour file, do not skip this one. <laughs> no. Okay, I did, it was well worth a watch. Rich Krejci ahead of the curve on the Jake Lee. Mm-hmm. Drafted him in the Perro Draft two years ago, and we all laughed at you. Okay, Who's <laughs> laughing the now? DKP Christmas show, the Perro Draft. You took Jake Lee. I laughed at you. Alan, who is the nicest man on earth, laughed at you. Joe Gagne, who's the second nicest man on earth, laughed at you. But
0: well, you were ahead of the curve on the Jake Lee. I was, yeah. And I knew an it too. Worker. It wasn't just because I uh, ran out of guys that I knew and then I found that he was only 19. You, nope.
1: sir, are completely full of shit. You did not know it. But I still give you credit because you made the pick and that's all that matters. Listen, all kidding aside, he's got some size. He's a good worker. This is a guy to keep your eye on in this company. Yeah. Okay, it's a guy to keep your eye on. This is not a super deep roster. He's young. He's big. He's talented. Keep an eye on Jake Lee. Jake Lee's going to be something here. And then we had, uh, well, let's go with the opener first, the, um, the Warring Nomuras, Naoa Omura versus Takuya Nomura, who will probably finish second in rookie of the year balloting behind Matt Riddle. Speaking of Takuya, of course, he won the match. This is exactly what I wanted out of this Nomura battle. Two guys.
0: Fucking awesome. Yeah. Going out there
1: in the opener and just having a hot sprint. What'd you think of it? I know you liked it. Oh, I loved it. I
0: loved the sprint nature of it. I liked that it didn't get too long. It was, you know, eight minutes and that's all it needed to be. And these guys didn't slow down at one point. I mean, everybody, it was, it was, both of them came out there with the idea that I want to win this match as quick as possible. You know what I mean? Like, I want to get out of here with this win so I can impress the sumo. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a cool little story to tell is that these guys. They generally, they don't want to jack around with all this stuff. They want to win. They want to, they want to, as as soon as possible, to the, so they don't let the other guy get the leg up, they want to win this match. I need to win this match as quick as possible. I need to win in front of this huge crowd, and and they went, and that's what they did. They went for it, and, and yeah, I love this. It was a great, great opener. Absolutely a must-watch if you're going to watch this It
1: delivered. Show. It delivered. And you know, Nomura, Takuya Nomura, of course, Um, you know, it's like, this could be the kind of match we look back on in 10, 15, 20 years and say, hey, remember when Takuya Nomura, Worked the opener of that All Japan Sumo Hall show when they when All Japan you know returned back to maybe in 20 years maybe All Japan gets hot after this right and in 20 years they hey remember that big All the, the Sumo Hall show All Japan had when it, that got them back on track Takuya Nomura the biggest star in Japan worked the opener of that show who knows right you never know right, so right, it, yeah you know, it's it's like this could be that kind of match where you look back and then there were uh, after that match there were three straight matches uh, six man and eight man tags with all the old dudes. We could lump all these together, I think. Um, Dory Funk Jr., yeah. So, did you watch?
0: I did, yeah.
1: It was kind of sad. I mean, let me tell you, during this stretch of the show, during these matches, this was, I know you weren't around, but I was. It was like, do you remember how Twitter was during the uh, Tenru Retirement Show, how fun it was? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. How people were just, you know, just having fun with a show that might not have been the best in ring, okay? Do you remember being on Twitter during the WrestleOne debut show?
0: Oh, yeah. Big, yeah, of course.
1: Just people having a lot of fun. And, and, and those were – that's what these three matches were like. So what they lacked maybe in, in you know, quote-unquote work rate or whatever, Rich, people were having the time of their lives on Twitter watching this show together, bantering about these three terrible matches uh, especially, you know, the Dory Funk Jr. stuff. Yeah, is- unfortunately,
0: I fell asleep during uh, Dory Funk's, like, offense. Like, it's actually legitimately when he got in the ring and started, like, doing his offenses exactly when I fell asleep. So, like, I went back and rewatched, of course, uh, days later. But, yeah, that, that was... Uh- yeah,
1: I mean, these were well, his magic-
0: entrance, his I was teetering during his entrance because he went out and shook hands with every single person in that arena. All six thousand five hundred and twenty two people that were there, he individually shook every single one of their hands in the entrance, and that's uh, that's when I was there was an off. He so. Rich,
1: he did it after the match too.
0: And, <laughs> like, uh, I'm not joking. Every single like if you wanted a handshake for Dory Funk Jr., you got you it got on me. that night. And, and, right. and, and
1: he didn't move any quicker leaving the rain than he didn't get in it <laughs> or working. Um look, it was embarrassing. It's like I, w- I feared for the man's safety. Um I, I don't think I've seen a more I mean modern day Mill Mascaris... Uh felt bad for this guy. I mean, it was just bad. He could not. He could barely move. He took a bump, and I nearly—I I thought he was just going to disintegrate into dust when he hit the mat. I mean, it was just ugly stuff. Um, and look, and it, it, it he made Chavo Guerrero Senior look like a spry youngster. In Paris. <laughs>
0: right, Chavo was like I mean, Will Osprey out there. He yeah. really did.
1: I mean, I, you know, no joke. It's like Ultimo Dragon's like forty-five, and he was the youngest guy on his team. Tajiri was on it. Listen, Tajiri's coming to work two o five. Tajiri is washed up, people. I mean, Tajiri is done. I mean, he's, just, he's been done for years. He hasn't had a good match in forever. People put him over at Cruiserweight Classic. I didn't think he was that good. I I, I have no idea why WWE is bringing Tajiri back. Uh, he's very mediocre at this point. Um, and look, I'm a big Tajiri fan. He's one of my favorite wrestlers ever, but I, they really shouldn't bring him back. These three matches, and then he had the match with all the dragons. I don't know if you were awake for that one. It's like the, tigers, were, the, the Tigers, all the Tigers, right? There was a match yeah, with like yeah. four Tigers in it. Um, I was awake for that one,
0: yeah. I, I was I, I becoming comatose, and then Dory Funk really did me in, and then you know I came back and I watched, I rewatched all of it. But yeah, the that point
1: was... to make here is your Ray Palomas from Dove, and your Diablos, and your uh, your Dark Nightmares from Tradition. People like this, and uh, the reason all these guys were on the show, and you, you know Naoshi Sano, people like the the guy from Heat Up. Okay, all Japan when they're running their house shows in these little towns, they use the local indie talent to fill out their cards. And not only that, but then the local indie talent helps them promote the show and draw fans. So this was kind of like the way this was explained was like this was like a gift back to those guys. So then you put sure. these Ray Palomas and whatnot on this show, they get themselves their their biggest payout of the year for working this giant show, and it's sort of a thank you gesture for helping all Japan all year long. Again, very intelligently booked, you know, and very very intelligently promoted to put these guys on the show and and reward them for helping out All Japan draw, you know, help them draw in these small towns all year long. So from that perspective, again, this didn't make for the greatest first half of the show, but you know, it was, it was good. Business. It was super
0: fun though, man. Cause it was just cool seeing like the parade yeah. of guys coming out and you're like, Oh, sure. look at that guy. <laughs> like who the hell is that? Like there are people that ever, you know, people discovered for the first time or just guys that are silly. You know, you have Kaiji tomato coming out and you got, you know, like you said, Ray Pal- Palama. I mean, there was just so many, it was just super fun. Those four matches. I and, mean, it's that,
1: like, that, tri- and here's the, and you know what the thing Twitter ruins a lot of wrestling because everyone's miserable. This is an instance where Twitter helps wrestling. Yeah. Twitter was so fun during these
0: matches because you know? we could all unite around it. Because no one's gonna have the hot take of like, "No, that match was good." You know, fuck right. you. You know, like, yeah, no one cared. Like, it was obviously just all a big kind of haha joke or whatever, which is fine. That's when wrestling's at its best sometimes. Uh,
1: it's just everyone having fun and bantering, and you know, and 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 and, and this is the kind of. Uh, stuff that, that that Twitter was you know improves upon right instead of everybody dragging everything down all the time. So it was, it really was a lot of fun that night, but I mean yeah overall good show way too long. Um you know the sixty five hundred fans look they sold a lot of those tickets to sponsors sponsors bought huge blocks of tickets. We had JoJo Remy there live. He didn't think sixty five hundred people were there. He got comps. He got upgraded with comps I believe too. So they even up even you know wanted to improve his seats and got those for free a lot of people there didn't pay but the tickets were sold because the sponsors paid for the tickets so and there probably weren't 6,500 they probably inflated the number two but there was probably four or five thousand people there and a lot of the seats were paid for look it's kind of cheating but rich i don't care where all if new japan did something like this i'd have a problem with if all Japan does something like this at the point of their growth that they're in, I have no problem with
0: it because right. they, yeah, right. No, they want 20% of those people to, to buy another ticket, you exactly. know, buy a ticket down the line. Like you get them in the building and say, Hey, here's what we are. And then maybe they go, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm into this. I'll come back. You know, now, that's, Japan, that's what you're wanting. Yeah. yeah.
1: And if now, if all Japan's doing this three years from now, it's like, all right, come on, you know, this is bull. But here's the thing. The other thing too, is you wanted a full building and a good atmosphere for this show the worst thing could have been if they just, you know, tried to sell these tickets legit, and they sold twenty five hundred tickets, and it was a dead, empty, giant building. That would have been terrible. But this show had a great atmosphere because there were people there. So from that perspective, too, of simply just getting people in the building, it's a bonus that they got the, that they conned the sponsors into paying for the tickets. That's great. But even if they were all comps, that would have been fine with me. Because at least you have a good atmosphere, and for all Japan right now, it's all about perception, you have to give the perception that you're successful, you know what I mean, to continue this forward momentum rolling, now the next time they go to Sumo Hall, if they keep pulling this stuff two, three, four four shows down the line, that's not real growth, I'm okay with it not being quote-unquote real growth right now because of the position they're in as a company at the moment, I have no problem with it, I, you know, it It is sort of, you know what it is? It's akin to taking an open book test, right? They passed, they did well, but eventually they're going to have to pass a real exam. But right. I'm not worried about that. We'll worry about that at the end of the semester. You see what I'm saying with that analogy? It's okay for now. So I I didn't really have a huge problem with it. I don't know if 6,500 people were there, I, but there were, look, it didn't look, it wasn't empty. I mean, there were empty seats, don't get me wrong, but it it, it didn't look like the show, they didn't, give the perception that the show had bombed, and I think that's important.
0: Right. It wasn't a sold show and then nobody showed up. I mean, those people showed up one way or another, you know, whether they paid, you know, full price for the ticket or not, they showed up. And and that's a big deal. That's what you want. You want those people with eyes on your product. And then, you know, you hopefully retain them and have them come back. And that's going to be the goal for all Japan as they're continuing to kind of get out of their, uh, the hole they were in. And, and, you know, slowly but surely they're getting there. So it's, it's, it's been fun to watch that ride. All right. Uh, Dragon Gate, we have uh, a few more minutes left to go. And I did want to talk at least about not, not a giant discussion of Dragon Gate, but I wanted to talk about a match on the 12-1 show. And if, if for people that are interested about this show, uh, we have a review on our website, com. case-loaded review of this. Uh, Dragon Gate, Fantastic Gate, December 1st. This match we do have to talk about because I think it's a historic match in Dragon Gate, and I think a match that everybody has to see whether you're a Dragon Gate fan or not. And it was Shima, Dragon Kid, Gamma, Mas- uh, Mochizuki, Don Fuji, against K, Shun Skywalker, Hyon Watanabe, Yuki Yoshiyaka, and then Katsumi Takashima. Fucking... Yeah incredible like just uh yeah uh, unbelievable those
1: guys are
0: yeah give give some background here some context
1: five rookies against five of the oldest veterans on the right the vet the original the the, you know the guys trained by the hand of ultimo dragon when you're talking about shima dragon kid don fuji um you know these are guys that are in their early 40s uh late 30s slash early 40s taking on five rookies one who was making his dragon gate debut. <laughs>
0: takashima yes in ring debut
1: okay the rest who are true rookies i'm talking legitimate rookies as in less than one year you know in the business you know two guys still wearing their black compression shorts okay three guys who were just given gimmicks a week or, you know a month earlier or whatever on the eleven ten show and yes, this was such an awesome match. And it's, it's the kind of match that anyone would enjoy because it wasn't your typical dragon game match. This was basically these five veterans putting a fucking beating. <laughs> a a scary.
0: at points. It was like almost scary. The, the amount of beating that these guys were giving out.
1: And, and I'll tell you this, uh, this Takashima who made his debut, which I learned listening to the open, the voice gate from a couple of weeks ago, where dragon gate, uh, Jai, uh, from open uh, iheartdg.com iheartdg yeah guessed it that's a great show if you want to learn something about dragon gate history it has a great three hours okay um you know Ta- takashima had he's been in the dragon gate system since like 2011 but he just made his debut because he's had problems with his eyes he has problems with his eyesight and his uh, uh, so what does shima do as soon as he tags into the match rich he rakes the kid's eyes <laughs> i don't it's like it's a, it's kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing. I'm sure it went over the heads of a lot of people. It would have went over my head if I didn't listen to that. Open the voice gate show. But how awesome is that? Like he went right after the kids' eyes. I mean, it's just he's so dirty. And that was basically what this match was. It was the veterans just bullying these five kids and teaching them a lesson and giving them a beating. Even Gamma was so. Vicious with his offense. Oh, Game was
0: pissed, yeah. These guys were just like, you fucking (laughs) rookies are going to come to Currican Hall (laughs) against us. Are you fucking kidding? Dragon Kid (laughs) dropped
1: a knee on one of the Watanabe boys, I think it was. And I'm sorry, that was not a worked knee. I I watched it four times. He dropped that knee on that kid square in his temple. I mean, this was brutal. But I loved every second of it. I'm not going to lie to you. This was incredible. And after the match, these kids were beat up. I mean, they, you know, the kid with the bad eyes had like red eyes.
0: He might go home after this, but no, he was he, I, 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 both those guys, the, the Yoshiaka and, and, and Takashima. I mean, for those guys being as 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 young as they are, their are they're in selling was just incredible as they're taking this beat down. Because, you know, you kind of compare this to I've been watching a lot of Hanare in, in New Japan for the World Tag League. That's a dude that's like got nothing right now. I mean, he's, he's getting better. But like you can tell, even when he sells, it's awkward, it's weird. Those two guys were so good at selling these beatdowns that you were you felt horrible for these guys. You're like, oh my god, this is awful. And part of it is probably because they weren't selling all the way; they probably were legitimately getting hurt. But like, it, still, they were great at it. But I thought one of the awesome parts of this match is it, it kicks off, and all five of those dudes, the, the young guys, they get like a good little run there for the first minute of the match, and all five of them go for a dropkick. I, I forgot who they hit, but all five of them go for a dropkick and hit this guy. And they all go to the outside, all the dads or all the old dudes, and they look at each other and they're like, nope, (laughs) that's not going to happen. They get back in. Ben K then shoves, I think he tackles Mochizuki down and stares him down. And Mochizuki just has this look like, nope, (laughs) not going to happen. And then the next 10 minutes are those dudes just fucking those guys up every single step of the way. And then the finish, I mean, my God, Mochizuki hits a, 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 I think he hits a kick. And then he pins the guy by just kneeing him in the face. Yes, like he doesn't pin, he doesn't cover him, but he, he just like puts he, his knee in his face, and that's how he pins Hio him. Keo like. Watanabe,
1: the guy who wears the uh, cheetah gimmick, I guess. Now, yeah, 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 right, right. He kicked him in the head and knocked him out, and then just had this <laughs> look of disgust on his, this <laughs> right. utter disgust. And like you said, for the pin, he didn't like you know lay chest to chest. He just dropped a knee on the guy's <laughs> face, <laughs> right, right. and just and just with this look of disdain, like why am I even in this match? You're so beneath me. And he just pinned him with his knee on his face. And you're right. It was just so brutal throughout. And again, it was Ben K who stood out. Look, this the Watanabe, he's a good little worker too. But Ben K, my God, if he doesn't jump off the screen when you watch this match. This is the twelve-one Dragon Gate show. It's on yep. the Real Hero Drive. Very easy to find. This Ben K, if you've never seen him, okay, he jumps off. You just know that this guy is a future star. He's just Right big, after
0: 16 minutes or whatever this match is, if you don't walk away saying that guy is a star or a future star, I I, I don't know what to tell you cuz
1: And even on the 11 10 show where it was him and Watanabe against um uh, uh Sasumu and Kagetora, same thing. He just jumps off the screen. The guy is a star. He's going to be and the company knows it.
0: He looks great. So, I mean, the guy's big. Like he's he's bigger than you get normal like, you know, normal Dragon Gate guys are not like he's he's more built than those guys like that guy Million bucks. I mean, that guy. Everything he's got, everything down. He's, he's got well-built. the look down. They gave him he's, a good gimmick. Yeah, yeah.
1: A lot of times you get a shitty gimmick. Like, well, Shun Skywalker. <laughs> Shun Skywalker. Terrible yes. gimmick.
0: Case okay. in point, Shun Skywalker. Yeah, it's
1: a it's a terrible gimmick. Um, this guy they gave him a great gimmick, a gimmick that suits him. He's like this samurai warrior sort of deal, and it's just it's so him. Well, it doesn't
0: ruin him in any way. It's just like yeah, he kind of wears like a gi or whatever, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he still gets the same vibe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. it adds to his charisma, his look. You know, it's kind of it's in a similar way with, with Higuchi from DDT. You know, he just has a vibe when he comes in that other guys don't. He just jumps off the screen. And, um, he'll improve as a worker. He's he's already 25, so he's not super young. But his look and his demeanor and the way that they already have uh, the, the just little things that they do with him, you could tell that they believe in him. He's allowed to do things that other rookies are not, like stand up to Shima, stand up to Mochizuki.
0: Yeah, in this match, you'll see that, too. He pushes Mochizuki down, and it's like the cam- and like the crowd gasps, like, oh, man. But, like, the other guys didn't get that. He got that, and yeah. that's telling. Mochizuki's
1: yeah. not selling like that for your garden variety rookie. Shoot he Skywalker,
0: he's not selling for. Sorry. Correct. <laughs> like, and not in right. that
1: manner. No way. And uh, same thing where you know where he, where he gets in slap fights with people like Shima or goes toe-to-toe with Susumu. It just doesn't happen in Dragon Gate. It's not the way they do things with rookies. and So they know that he's special. And, um, you know, he's definitely got to keep an eye on that heel Watanabe is a good little worker.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: even the two, you know, like you said, the guy making his debut was impressive. It's just, yeah. So this is a must watch match for any wrestling fan because it has psychology that it's, It I know people go ah Dragon Gate. This match has psychology that anyone can understand. Okay, it's five veterans putting a beating on five rookies. And
0: we've That's heard it. that from multiple people. We've had multiple people on our Twitter account said, I, I've never watched Dragon Gate, or I haven't watched it in years. When do I jump in, or what, what do I do? And we, and we gave them this match, and we had quite a few people that said, oh my God, I jumped in, and, and I got it now. Everything makes sense to me. Like, I'm ready to go, and everyone now I'm watching Dragon Gate. Like, we've had I multiple people, so and we're not glad, lying. Like, there are I'm so multiple glad people. you
1: brought that up, because it's right. an important point I want to make, because people always ask us, how do I jump into Dragon Gate? When do I jump in? There has never been a better jump-in point than right this second, Start with the 11-10 show and then watch this 12-1 show because you have all of these rookies just breaking in. They just got their gimmicks on the 11-10 show and now it carried over to 12-1. We're in this great period at Dragon Gate where they have – they've got – Rich, I counted it up. They've got like 12 wrestlers under the age of 25 and they're all great. Like none of them stink. And, and all the guys who are, who are approaching 40 are still good. So we're in this magical... Right, that's the
0: funniest period. thing. It's like, these guys are passing the torch, and it's like, Shima can still go. Like, Mochizuki's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, it's that's like crazy. We're, yeah. So we're
1: in this magical period where the entire roster rocks. The entire... It's the deepest roster in wrestling. There's, like, three guys who stink. You know, there's Cyber Kong, there's Punch. Monday Ryu. And that's about it. I mean, yeah. everyone else is really good. Like, really good. You know, even the old dudes. This is the perfect time to jump in because you're getting in on the ground floor of these great rookies, and the old guys can still bring it. This is the time. Do it right now and just jump in and go. You know, it is is the perfect time to jump into Dragon Gate if you haven't, and it's accessible. Watch those two Kurigans because they got a the big show coming up on Christmas, and you'll be ready for it.
0: Yeah, and uh, if you're looking to jump into iHeartDG.com, great way to do it. And also the Open the Voice Gate. I think the, our, our yeah. guys on this, it's on our podcast network, they do a great job of kind of filling you in uh, with different things. They've had, uh, If you go back to the archives, too, they've had past episodes talking about different units. If you're like, hey, I need to know a little bit about this unit, that unit, the history of it, or whatever. And you said that uh, the episode where, where Jay did the, the guest spot or whatever, perfect spot, too, because he gives you a lot of the history of Dragon Gate 2. So if you're really interested in that, if you're not, if you just want to kind of jump in, Watch those shows and have IRDG on the other screen and just kind of look back and forth because that you know Jay will he'll translate it, he'll give you kind of the post-match promos, he'll let you know who the guy who's the guy that pin, you know, got the pin and got the loss, so you can kind of put some names to faces too. But I think Dragon Gate, more than any other company, and I've always liked this about Dragon Gate, it's so easy to tell who the guys are. They don't blend in all that much. Every guy has a unique look, a unique hairstyle, a unique way about them in the ring. Like, you do not mix guys up. Once you see a gamma you know Gamma for life. You know what I mean? Like, you're never going to get screw up Gamma and Genki Horiguchi. You know? You know, and, you know and, the and, difference and between the, those two and guys. The, and the
1: opening credits of the fucking show tell you what unit everybody's in.
0: Exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's fantastic in that way. And, and they just do such a good idea where... Because I know people get overwhelmed, especially with Japanese wrestling, because, it, it, you know, you you can say it. Like, some of the guys look alike, and you're hard to... You know, you don't know these guys, so you're kind of jumping in and going, okay, wh- what's the difference in these guys? Who do I follow? Or whatever. You can watch Dragon Gate twice, and I think you pretty much will know every single one of those guys and know you know what their style is, a little bit about them, and like you said, what unit they're in. And that, that's that's a really good way to start. So yeah, I, I think there's no better time to jump into Dragon Gate if you've always kind of decided I've been wavering, or maybe if you you jumped off uh, years ago and you want to get back on. This is a good time because you're on the ground floor of you know five to ten, just or, you know, got fifteen awesome young wrestlers in this company right now. It's it's incredible. It's a wealth of riches. They could, they could not. They could chop off five of those guys and still be fine. You know, <laughs> like that's incredible.
1: Yeah, the roster is ridiculously stacked, but yeah, we're gonna do more Dragon Gate in detail when before that big show comes up. Oh right? sure, yeah, uh, and then we're gonna do Noah in more detail too. But there's just was the time.
0: Yeah, ran out of time here tonight. But uh, anyway, let you know, uh, vote of voicesofwrestling.com to, uh, read any of our columns, opinions, reviews, all the other good stuff. Uh, wrestling.com slash forums as well. Our really good discussion forum, as Joe mentioned, really good all, uh, all Japan, uh, thread, A really good Dragon Gate thread as well. But definitely check that out, wrestling.com slash forums. And of course, uh, this holiday season, make sure you're supporting our sponsors, macweldon.com. You can go to macweldon.com and use promo code voices to get 20% off your next purchase of socks, underwear, shirts, hoodies, underwear, whatever you want to buy from MackWallon.com, use MackWallon.com use the promo code VOICES so for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech and we'll see you next time on the Voices of Wrestling podcast, take care here it comes again lunch, will it be the same old same old, or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey sub at Firehouse Subs